What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Here we are, start of a brand new week, and it is time to look once again at one of my favorite subjects, which is the workplace. I really think that the workplace and how America works, how the world works, is one of the most interesting things that anybody could talk about because it affects almost everybody and our relationship with work is an interesting one worth studying. You know, it's interesting. On Friday, we got a question from uh, David in the Bronx who asked about why why America was dealing with anxiety and depression and whether there was some sort of a link between that and illicit drug use. And I told him that, obviously, I'm not a professional and had no idea, but that I thought that it might be. And he asked what could be done about it. And I said, uh, going back to two of the subjects that we did last week, is two of the things that I think America might look at are more vacation time and a four-day work week. And that's not a means of being lazy. Like, I think anybody that's worked with me throughout my life, and not just this job, but any job I've ever had since I was 14 years old, I don't think you could meet a person that I've ever worked with that would say that I'm lazy. That being said, I think the American populace is rapidly approaching burnout. Well, maybe we're backing away from that a little bit. Let me tell you some numbers. Fascinating story in the Wall Street Journal Part-time work is on the rise in the U.S., and far more people are working less by choice than by obligation. This is a serious sign and one more sign of a new attitude towards work. Some new numbers, courtesy of uh, the Labor Department, more than 22 million Americans are working less than 35 hours a week for non-economic reasons. Non-economic means that they're choosing to work part-time rather than full-time. That means they're working part-time because not because their hours were cut, but because they're choosing for personal reasons to make this switch to part-time work. Four million Americans, meanwhile, are working part-time but actively seeking full-time work. That number is not as much of a surprise. The vast majority of us are still working 40 hours or more a week. And this is interesting. Parents are working less so they can take care of children. Adult children are cutting hours to care for aging parents. So the workforce is having people go part-time rather than full-time 
on both the front end and the back end. People are working part-time instead of full-time, one, to take care of their children, but also to take care of their parents, which I think is so interesting. Many people use the pandemic to sort of reevaluate the work-life balance. They figured they could lean on stimulus checks or savings to work less. And apparently a lot of them who were working less have chosen to keep working less. This has happened with many people I know in my own life. They made the decision to work part-time. And a lot of other people, uh, you know, we were visiting some friends of ours yesterday. Uh, we met with one person. She, The rest of her job all went back to work in the office. She wants to keep working from home. She said she told her bosses, fire me, fire me. I'm not coming back in. Um, I don't want to be taking the subway at 1130 at night. I'm not comfortable doing it. You don't want me, fire me. I'll get work somewhere else. What happened? They kept her. So the workers right now do have a lot more pull, a lot more clout than they've generally had in the history of uh, labor management relations. And a lot of these workers are using it to work a little less. I'm curious what you read into these numbers. Again, if you're just tuning in, Wall Street Journal story, statistics from the Labor Department showing that 22 million Americans are working less than 35 hours a week, not because they have to, but because they choose to. On the one hand, I am surprised that this number is so uh, so large. On the other hand, I'm really not. Uh, our number, by the way, we have a, a, a temporary number. Our normal phone number is down. So our no- normal number is out. So you can reach us today at 833 833- Nine six nine four 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 seven. That's eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. But if you like to spell things out, the uh, the number is spelled out to be Ted Wow Gigs G I G S. I'm very excited that Ted Lasso will soon be coming back. So in honor of that show coming back, you can call us at Ted Wow Gigs eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. Uh, and there's only uh, we only have four lines today. Normally we have eight, so that might mean they get you might call and get a busy signal. If that's the case, um, wait till you hear me take a call and hang up on someone. And when I hang up on someone, that means a line will be opening up, and that's a good opportunity to call if you get a busy signal. But right now, four open lines: eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. Um. So my wife has said to me many times that if we have another child, she would prefer to not work full time and she would love to see if we can make our finances work, especially if I can earn a little bit more money. She would love to try to cut back to part time hours rather than full time. Now, I don't know if we'll be able to afford to do that, but hopefully we will. But a lot of these people here, a lot of these 22 million people are clearly in families or in households or in couples where they've been able to do that, where they've been able to make that transition for precisely the reason my wife would like to make the transition to part-time work. Uh, I hope her employer's not uh, listening, but look, I don't think it's a major surprise. The vast majority of us still work 40 hours or more a week. Parents are working less to take care of children. Adult children are cutting their hours to take care of aging parents. Ernie Park is an engineer, and uh, he told the Wall Street Journal that he 
transitioned to part-time after years of full-time work in the tech industry. And Park reduced his hours so that he could spend time with his family. Now he runs a newsletter called Part-Time Tech to connect others to part-time work. I am curious as well if anybody in our audience has seen this occur, who has made the transition from 40 hours to less than 35 hours a week. And what you think this says about kind of the nature of the workforce, the nature of America, and is there something else can be that can be done? For instance, if we had greater child care facilities uh, that parents could afford, would you see less parents dropping out of the workforce? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Tell me what you think. 833-969-4447. Let me begin with Mark in Maryland. Hello there, Mark. Hi, thank you very, very much. Oh, by the way, before I start, real quickly, I'm working on your WCBM lapel pin. Oh, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. it. I, oh, I, yeah. I wasn't going to mention it. I wasn't going to embarrass you and call you on the carpet, but I appreciate that. <laughs> now I'm working on that. And I will say this, uh, like you, and I appreciate that. Uh, when I was in the military, we worked 12 to 16-hour days. And, uh, uh, thanks to my parents, rest their souls, you know, they always taught me the virtues of work. Certainly a short week now, I mean, if somebody said to me, Mark, you know, why don't you work even 60 hours a week, four days a week? I'd say yes, but that's impossible for me. I'm pretty much working every day. Well, no, I mean, it might be impossible for you for economic reasons or because you really like your job. But what we're seeing in these numbers from the Department of Labor, Mark, is that it's not that these workers are being forced to part-time work. They're choosing part-time work. And I'm curious what you think um, what you think that says about the country today and the workforce today, that so many workers are making the decision, even though it means less money in most instances, many workers are making the decision to transition to part-time work. Probably a positive thing. It's probably a good thing. We know because of the corona, many people, uh, when they had the opportunity to work at home, uh, they continued to work at home. So certainly there's someone in my family retired but still works at home. So I would think it's a positive. Well, look, thank you, Mark. I don't know that it's positive or negative. I think it is positive in that clearly if parents want to spend time with their children instead of being stuck at the office – and they're able to do that, then that's clearly a positive. Uh, clearly, if adult children want to take care of their aging parents rather than stick them into an assisted living facility somewhere and they're able to do that, that's certainly a positive. So I'll agree with Mark, actually, uh, that it's a positive. I just do wonder what this means for the level of American productivity, what this means for America's place in the world in terms of global competitiveness. And I wonder what this indicates about our relationship, we as Americans, and our relationship with work and the workplace, because, uh, you know, I, I pay pretty close attention to the five-star movement in Italy. And until recently, they were part of the governing coalition there. And uh, I like the five-star movement. If I ever uh, chose to get Italian citizenship, I might register with the five-star movement. I like those guys out there. But they, I'm on their newsletter, they are now pushing for the same thing we're seeing in the UK and Spain. They're pushing for a trial program for a four-day work week in Italy, believe it or not. 
And uh, I I do wonder if maybe part of the move, the reason that we're seeing this move to part-time work rather than full-time work is because people are burnt out. What do you think? 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Or uh, if you want to spell out the phone number, it's Ted Wow Gigs. That's Ted Wow Gigs, a new phone number uh, for today. It's a temporary phone number while we work on fixing our other system. So be sure to give us a call, 833-969-4447. Now, I will, uh, let me tell you what's coming up. No guests today, so there's plenty of opportunity for you and I to speak. So if you've ever been in the camp that Frank doesn't take enough calls, Frank doesn't take enough calls, you, we've got four hours together for, for you to be heard, and uh, you're welcome to be heard at 833-969-4447. But uh, we are going to do commendations to lead off our, our third hour. We have the $1,000 Minute. We have a bunch of other fun subjects that I think you're going to really enjoy. I saw a movie this weekend on Friday, and my wife and I still are trying to work our way through all of the Oscar-nominated film films. Uh, so it was uh, it was nice to be able to take some time to see a motion picture and uh, some other fun stories and some not-so-fun stories that uh, I think you're going to be interested in. Steven Spielberg it had some interesting comments about UFOs. You know that's right up my alley. We're going to get into that in the uh, in the second hour of the program and a bunch of other interesting subjects as well. Hey, if you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O, and you could uh, find us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. On Facebook, by the way, I did stop by a uh, book signing that uh, our boss, John Katsimatidis, did on Saturday. And you can see a great picture of John Katsimatidis, me, and the new manager of the Ferry Hawks, Homer Bush. And I was able to get Homer Bush to sign a baseball for my son, Carmine. And he actually signed it. And I thought this was pretty cool. Because Homer was part of that 1998 World Series championship team for the New York Yankees, he actually signs the ball. Homer Homer Bush, 1998 World Series champs. That's cool. He puts that on every autograph. I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty neat, and it was a fun fun time. But you could see the picture on my Facebook page at facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. And if you ever want to join the Facebook group, you can do so at uh, facebook.com/slash groups/slash Radio Morano. That's facebook.com/slash groups/slash Radio M O R A N O. All right. Um, we're talking about the story in the Wall Street Journal about meet people moving, making the transition to part-time work, not because they have to, but because they want to. What do you think about it? Let me say hello to Sal in Queens. Hello there, um, Sal. And, and there's a lot less vocational. Go ahead, Sal. Be heard. Hello? Hello, Sal. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I, w- I was going to comment, you know, everything is going on CAD, computer-aided design, uh, you know, everything from, you know, I'm a, I, I was a jewelry designer. I was an accessory designer. Uh, I'm a licensed locksmith, licensed welding. All of that wow. is going automated, robotic, um, uh, rapid prototyping, CNC milling, computerized weaving, computerized embroidery. They're making like dresses without any seamstress. You know, I mean, everything is doing single operator, you know, so, um, I mean, so they're going to need less workers. 
So that's why they were calling about that, uh, what, what is that, uh, UBI? Um, I forgot. Um, universal Basic Income. Mm-hmm. And that's not a socialist thing. It's just that... Yeah, it was originally proposed by Milton Friedman. But, Sal, you're talking about economic issues and the economic reasons that people might be working part-time instead of full-time. The 22 million people that I'm talking about are people that are choosing to work part-time instead of full-time. They don't have to. They're making the decision for non-economic reasons. And that's and that's happening concurrently with what is happening technologically. It's all happening at the same time. All right. Well, thank you, Sal. Appreciate it. Curious if you're one of these 22 million, if you're one of the people that has made this transition to part-time work because you want to, not because you have to. 833-969-4447. That's Ted Wow Gigs. That's Ted W-O-W Gigs. 833-969-4447. Donovan is in Vancouver. Hello, Donovan. Hi, Frank. Um, that's a great subject, and part of it also kind of worries me because, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I, I'm kind of on the, the uh, cusp of that millennial uh, Gen X, I guess it would be. But what I'm noticing, at least in my workplace and in uh, Canada and everywhere in general, is this people don't seem to want to work to the same degree anymore. And it's having a huge effect on productivity uh, in terms of you know customer service, and I, I'm just wondering if, uh, as great as this is to people who work part time, uh, if we're is just leading to less productivity in society in general. Yeah, you know, I was you know, waiting. Our parents worked our asses off. Yeah, I was waiting for somebody to say this, Donovan, and I think you made the I think you made the the point well. Um, the but let's say there there is a different attitude, which clearly there is, among young people or middle-aged people that don't want to work as much. Is that such a bad thing if that means more time for family, if that means more time enjoying life, more time for friends? Um, what do you say to those that say, well, those are all important values that we, if people don't have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week – Maybe it's just as well that they spend time with their children or their aging parents. Isn't that more important than the workplace? No, you're right, Frank. That, that's, that totally makes sense. Um, but I think the other side of the coin is, you know, work that way but have the, the flexibility. So you can put in those 40 hours or, or more but still spend time. You know, you do the extra work on, on a Sunday or after hours or while you're traveling like the COVID has changed the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, way we do work. So you could technically go away on a vacation with your family and still work for a few hours a day. Right. right. So, but uh, again, a lot. And thanks for the call, Donovan. A lot of times people want to go on vacation and not work. Right. And I think it's great, honestly, that 22 million people are in the position where they can afford to do this where they're making the decision that work is not the most important aspect in your life. You know, it's funny. There's a stranger that uh, just finished this series of um, interviews. He interviewed, uh, not a stranger, he he interviewed all sorts of strangers, thousands of strangers asking them for life advice. And there were a lot of common themes. And one of the most common pieces of life advice that he got was that um, if – if you have a choice of work or 
time with family, choose time with family. I don't know that this is a bad thing. I mean, look, it will be a bad thing if America falls behind the rest of the world in terms of global productivity. But I don't think this is a bad thing in and of itself. If look, I just told you, my wife would do this if she could. If we had the money, she would make the transition to part-time work. Done. It would be done. She would be $22 million and one doing this. And um, I, I think that would allow her, it would make her happier. It would allow us not to have to hire a babysitter as much as we love her. It would allow uh, my son more time with his mother. It would allow, um, you know, uh, my wife not to be frazzled at the end of her workday when she has to start, you know, the job that she's most passionate about, taking care of our son. So I don't think this is uh, a bad thing at all. I'm curious if you, if you feel differently. 833-969-4447. Igor's in Fairfield. Hello there, Igor. Hey, greetings, Frank. So uh, I'm in my mid-50s. I know a number of people who are in their late 50s and early 60s who have been uh, doing this. So I don't know demographically if the study says what age groups are most affected. It, it, it doesn't. It's, can... it's uh, across the board, it appears. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so in my experience with the people that I work with, and I work uh, in a development laboratory, a technical uh, kind of thing, um, I found that um, COVID, for one, has changed everybody's attitude about the work-life balance. It it may have uh, spurred on this idea that life is more fragile, not making an argument for or against COVID and its, uh, you know, lethal lethality, but I think it's changed people's attitudes. And I think of the people that I'm aware of, they've been in fortunate situations later in their life. They've inherited money from their parents who were savers. And really then they look at that balance and they say, I want to stay working because I want to stay sharp. I enjoy what I'm doing. But at the same time, I don't want to have to do it 40 hours a week. Well, I I think you're exactly right. I think that's definitely uh, I think that's definitely what's going on here. And, um, you know, we'll see if this is a trend that continues. I appreciate that, Igor. I think you're absolutely right also that it was COVID that kind of forced everybody to reevaluate their relationship with work and, and life in general. Thank you. Maybe that's why my, rela- my, my work-life balance didn't change much. Because do you know how much my work changed during COVID? Not at all. I came in every single day during the pandemic, and it didn't change at all. So I never had that work-from-home week or month or year i know some people did so maybe that's why my attitude hasn't changed and look honestly i recognize that i'm blessed to be able to have the kind of job that uh, that i've always fantasized about having right so i think if most people love their job as much as i do they'd be working <laughs> as much as they can as well but I, I do have to say it is tough when you know your son is uh my son is 15 months old now when he's laughing, when he's running around, when he's uh, when when he wants to play with you, to say essentially, uh, you know, sorry, son, I have to go to work or I have to prepare for work. You know, it is tough. You know, I I, w- I would love to have uh, some more of those moments with him. All right, eight hundred eight. Excuse me, no eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. That's eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. We have a new number for today if you want to weigh in. A lot to get to. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
This is Elton John and Kiki D, uh, who is 76 years old today. Kiki D. You know, I always felt bad for Kiki uh, because she clearly she is a great talent, and she had a um, she had a number of of hit singles. By far, this is the one that she's best known for. But she's almost become more of a trivia question. Like when this song plays at a jukebox or a bar somewhere, you know, in fact, that happened to me. You know, I was having drinks with Gino from Brooklyn, the listener who calls in from time to time, in Atlantic City maybe about a year ago. More than a year ago, I think. Maybe, no, because it was before my son was born, maybe 17 months ago. And, um, and he basically, this song was playing at the bar that we were drinking at in Atlantic City. And he says, I'll bet you you can't name who this was. And now... I had just seen the Elton John movie, so I was able to come up with the correct answer. But uh, Kiki D, a great talent, and uh, she is 76 years old today, so uh, happy birthday to Kiki. She's played by Rachel Muldoon in that Elton John movie, which I really liked, by the way. All right, uh, our phone number is 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Hopefully you had a nice weekend. My weekends are all the same. They are um, busy but fun in that I always try to pack a lot in, but there's all, they're all things that I want to do. So my weekend began, as I mentioned on Saturday, after Smirconish with um, my trip to go see our boss, John Katsimatidis. He was signing copies of his new book. How far do you want to go? Uh, which uh, I told him I'd love to do an hour sit down with him one day this week because the book is interesting and there's so many stories in there. And I thought I knew everything about John. And sure enough, there's a ton of stuff in that book that even I didn't know. And for those of you that are Moranaholics, I am mentioned on pages 230 and 243. And it's selling very well, evidently. It's available on Amazon and most places that books are sold. It's called How Far Do You Want to Go? by uh, John Katsimatidis. But so we get there, and it was great to meet a lot of listeners. I saw my friend Jerry, Jerry Goldman, who, if you were there, you probably saw him because you can't miss him. I guarantee you he was the only person there for the two hours of the book signing that had a handlebar mustache. So he's got the, like a Raleigh Fingers-style mustache. He and Arthur Idala's father, Lou Idala, who was a great is a great attorney in his own right. They are the only people that I know personally that have that handlebar mustache. So it was great. I got to meet Homer Bush, spend time with him. My friend Jerry told me. So he wanted a picture with John and someone else. I don't know if it was Congresswoman Molly Takas. This was right before I got there. But um, my friend Jerry told me that he handed his phone not knowing who Homer Bush was. Well, he knew who Homer Bush was. He's a big baseball fan, but he didn't recognize Homer Bush. And look, I, I wouldn't have either had I not just seen his picture. But a lot of these guys, you're used to seeing them in uniform, you're used to seeing them wearing their jersey number, and you don't necessarily recognize them in street clothes. So he handed his phone to Homer Bush, World Series, World Series championship baseball player, he says, uh, oh, would you mind taking a photo of us? <laughs> he gave his phone to Homer Bush to take a picture. 
And then when he realized it was Homer Bush and he waited in line to get Homer Bush's autograph, Homer Bush had a pretty good sense of humor about it. He said, oh, do you still do you need me to take a picture of you with anybody else? Homer Bush, to his credit, took the took the picture. He didn't uh, he didn't act like a big shot or anything like that. So then um, came home. And then we went to this blood drive and this uh, bone marrow drive. Got my cheek swabbed to see if I'm a, a match for a friend of ours, John Dilgen, who's waiting for a bone marrow transplant. And I think I was already in the bone marrow registry, but uh, I got my cheek swabbed again just in case, just in case I wasn't in there. And it's very funny. No, it's not funny. It's potentially scary. I I, I give blood all the time. I give blood almost once every two months. Right. And I give platelets sometimes more than that. You can give platelets once every eight days. You can give whole blood once every 54 days. And I give blood every two months. And I wait in line to give blood and I fill out the questionnaire. And I'm a pro at filling out this questionnaire. Fill it right out. And I want to finish quickly so that my wife can go. And I remember last time my wife gave blood, she passed out. So I, I told her, don't give blood, honey. You don't need to give blood. I'll give blood enough for the both of us. And she said, no, I want to do it. I think I was just rushing last time, and it was too hot, and I hadn't eaten. She said, I want to do it. I'll be fine this time. So uh, our son was with us. So I our, now my dad was there. My stepmother was there. My sister was there. Uh, so, and there were plenty of other friends and family members there that could have looked after him. But I wanted to finish giving blood as quickly as possible so that I could take care of our son while she gave blood. So I uh, go for my medical exam, and then I, you know, I was uh, in, talking to the person. She takes my temperature. Fine. Have you given before? Fine. You have your donor card? Fine. The questionnaire? Okay. And she takes my blood pressure, which is not unusual. Well, it happens all the time. And my blood pressure comes back 150 over 110 which is high. And um, she said, huh, you know, you give blood all the time. That's a little high. It's too high for us to take. Why don't you just, why don't you chill out for a few minutes and come back in 10 minutes and see if your blood pressure has, you know, got back to normal a little bit. So I didn't really chill out. I'm chasing after a 15 month old. And then I uh, then I went and got my cheek swabbed, so I was still doing a fair amount of running around. But then I sat down for a few minutes. Somebody else called me, and my blood pressure didn't come down that much. It was the bottom number was the one that was concerning. Uh, it shouldn't be one ten, at least not to give blood. It was still it came down a little bit, but it was one oh six. And I said, I don't understand this. You know, I I have given blood regularly for you know since I was seventeen or eighteen. I think eighteen. And uh, this has only happened to me once before. And I remember that circumstance. It was I had been breathing in fumes and fighting with my former girlfriend at the time. So it was not a surprise to me in that instance. And I was very, very uh, overweight at the time. So I said, why would my blood pressure be still too high? And it was too high. It was 106, which is apparently the bottom number, 106, too high to take. And she said, well, I don't know. She said, did you did you have caffeine this morning and I said you know I did I actually had two cups of coffee this morning which I rarely do on a Saturday and she said well did you have something salty for dinner or breakfast I said I did I actually had salt both in my breakfast and my dinner and um which I also rarely do 
And she said, I think it's probably both of those things. So I um, I just bought uh, some water at the uh, drugstore, and they had a blood pressure machine, and I checked my blood pressure. And thankfully, it had come back down to normal. It was still a little high, but uh, it's certainly something that I'm going to uh, going to watch. After I, uh, I keep telling my wife I'm going to go to the doctor and make an appointment just for a checkup and get everything checked, because I haven't been for a physical and kind of a, ch- a checkup for about two or three years, pre-COVID. Right. So it's what is it? Probably three years. So I'm going to go after Lent because I'll be nice and trim for not having eaten anything and uh, not having drank anything for 40 days. So I uh, will get all my numbers and everything. But I was annoyed that I couldn't give. I still got my cheeks swabbed and hopefully I'll be a bone marrow match, if not to our friend Don John Dilgen, hopefully to someone else. But I was annoyed that I couldn't give blood. My wife gave blood. And uh, she gave it, didn't pass out. She did feel a little woozy afterwards, and she had to lie down and elevate her feet. And I entertained Carmine in the meantime. But then we had to rush back home because, remember, I had an appointment with a solar guy. Now, I, if you didn't hear me talking about this the other day, I was in a rush when this solar guy came to the house the other day, and I made plans. I said, all right, we'll be home Saturday afternoon. How long does the appointment take? 45 minutes, he says. 45 minutes. Fine, fine. So we got back to the house around 3.45. I, I told him 3.30. I texted him, hey, we're running late. He says, okay, that's no problem. I'll let my manager know. So he gets there around 10 to 4. Okay. Quarter to 4, 10 to 4. He comes in, and this is a little embarrassing. You know, I didn't pay that close attention to the guy that uh, that w- was the initial person that I spoke to. I knew his name was Emmanuel. So he's walking from the solar truck to the, you know, to the car, to, to our house. And uh, I, I say, hey, Emmanuel. So he gets to the front of the door, and he shakes my hand. And I don't know, he, I, this was not Emmanuel. This was Raphael, Melvin Raphael. He had two first names for, for some reason. But hopefully, I don't think he heard me call him um, Emmanuel. But they both happen to be Hispanic. So my wife said to me afterwards, that was a little racist, that you assumed that that was Emmanuel j- just because they're both Hispanic. I said, it was not because they're both Hispanic. It's because I wasn't paying attention to, I thought I, I made an appointment with Emmanuel. I figured Emmanuel was going to show up. And apparently Emmanuel is just the guy that wrangles the new solar customer, and it's Raphael. That's the uh, that's the guy that comes in to explain the things to you and try to close the deal. So he comes in, very nice guy, and I will admit, we we chatted about extemporaneous conversation, non-solar related. What do I do? What does my wife do? What our son, his daughter, how how, how his life journey, the affirmations that he gets on his phone. He turned out to be a great guy. I really liked him. And so did I. But if you take all the extraneous conversation that we had, not related to solar panels, it was 15 minutes, 15 minutes. This appointment, which was supposed to be 45 minutes, was not 45 minutes. It was two hours. Two hours. Now, normally I wouldn't mind. Well, yeah, I would. But um, I wouldn't mind that much. But for the fact 
that we had to uh, meet my favorite second cousin who was in town, Andrea, and her new boyfriend, Artie. Not new, but he's new to me because I haven't met him. I call, I call him George Glass because he's never around whenever I see her. And I always tell Andrea she's making it up like uh, Jan on the Brady Bunch. But um, we had dinner plans to go and, and meet him. And we ended up getting there 45 minutes late because of this long solar appointment. Lo and behold, I think uh, we're going to move forward with the next step in this solar situation. We're going to have somebody come to the house, go on the roof and see what we can do. See, initially, they looked at our usage and said they could uh, not say not get us to a zero bill if they put the solar panels up but they could cover 84% of our energy costs. Now, I told you my wife doesn't want the solar panels on the front of the house. She doesn't like the way they look. She just wants them on the back. So we said, okay, then that'll probably get you about 61% of your energy costs. Lo and behold, it looks like that because they cut down all the trees behind us, remember I told you they had all these trees behind us, that uh, they're, they're building new houses behind us now. They cut down all the trees. Because they cut down all the trees, they were able to get a new estimate as to how much energy we, we would be saving and how much sun power this would be generating. And it w- is going to save us 91%. It's going to cover 91% of our bill. Now, we do need a new roof. But, I mean, if you think about it, we're going to have far less of an energy payment every month and if we're getting a loan for the roof and the solar panels, which is paid off, I think, after 25 years, and we get a new roof in the process. So we get we have less of a monthly bill, and at the rate that Con Ed just raised their prices 12.5%, so uh, at the rate that uh, Con Ed is raising prices, it, it could probably even be more of a savings. These prices are locked in for the course of this loan for 25 years. And we get a new roof in the process. So, and, oh, the tax savings. I mean, between state and federal tax credits for this, we're getting another $20,000 just in the first two years of tax credits for this. So uh, it, I think it is going to be a financial win for us, but it uh, it may not be for you. I know Matt Blaze said he looked at it for his house and it didn't look like they would sa- save us any money. But in, in our case, it looks like it's going to be a significant savings. And we get a new roof. So we get less of a monthly bill and a new roof. So it sounds pretty good to me. All right. 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Jimmy is on Staten Island. Hey, Jimmy, it was great to see you uh, at John's book signing on Saturday. Frank Morano, the pleasure was all mine. And the way I came across you was I thought it was hysterical. When I was in my car, I was laughing at what you said. I heard you walking. I saw you walking in front of me, and I heard you on the phone. I heard, hey, Curtis. I said, that's got to be Frank Morano. That's right. That's right. So I said, I said, Frank Morano, and you turned around, and much to my surprise, I was like, it is him. It is him. <laughs> Thank God I never went to an Elvis concert. I would have had a heart attack. Uh-huh. But um, And when I saw you, I said, I love you. I said, how's my little car mine? And you said, great, great, great. Here, let me get you something. And you were reaching in your pocket, and you handed me that pen, which is now framed, and it's in my living room. Um, I love you. I really think you're a fine, fine gentleman. 
And I just want to say, John Katsimatidis, Margo was absolutely radiant. Oh, yeah. Chad Lopez was amazing. And all I want to say, Frank, as one Italian to another, like we always say, we meet somebody. I love you. You're a great guy. And God bless you and your family always. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah. And lest any, I know, Jimmy, you've mentioned on air. Uh, first of all, it was great to meet you as well. And uh, I appreciate everything you just said and uh, everything you said in person. But uh, lest you've mentioned on air before that uh, you have a broken neck, lest anyone think you're bluffing about that. I did see you in a neck brace. So unless this is some yeah. clever ruse on your part, you're going all out on this one. No, it, I'm, I'm healing, thank God. Please, say a prayer. That's great to hear, uh, Jimmy. Hopefully our paths cross again. You could use that pen. I'll give you another one the next time I see you. Thank you kindly, sir. All right, thank you. Uh, Jimmy okay. on uh, on Staten Island, appreciate that. Uh, you want to comment, you can. 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Um, by the way, you know, I, uh, I'm i not going to mention the name of the company that's doing the solar panels f- for us because they're not advertising or anything. But uh, apparently, because we checked in with our neighbors, because both of our neighbors across the street have solar panels. So we checked in with them to see what kind of company they use, and they use a different company. So my neighbor Nick said, why don't you, why don't you call our company, too, and kind of pit them against one another and see who will give you the better deal. And uh, and maybe we will do that because I learned from meeting with Raphael in this two-hour meeting, which was supposed to be 45 minutes. He's probably still at the house, by the way. I left to go to dinner with my cousin. The guy's probably still there. But uh, I learned from Raphael that if you refer someone to their company, that you get $1,000. So even if they don't get the solar panel, so let's say I refer Matt Blaze, and he has a sit-down with them. I get $1,000. Now, so I can understand why Nick, I, I do think Nick wants you know to do the right thing, and he is very pleased with his solar panels. But I, I can understand why Nick was sort of urging me, oh, use our guy, use our guy. Now, maybe we will call them, because I, I wouldn't mind Nick getting $1,000 if the company that he uses do, does something similar. But the thing with... His solar panels, my wife found them a little unsightly. She didn't like kind of how they look on, on his roof a little bit. And she wants it to be a little bit more. And apparently this company does a little bit more of a, a uh, an aesthetically pleasing thing, even on the back. All right, 833-969-4447. We'll see where it goes, but I'll keep you posted. If you have questions or if you want me to refer you, and get me $1,000, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Jeff is on Long Island. Hello there, Jeff. Hey, what's going on, buddy? I'm from uh, Manhattanville. Have you ever uh, have, uh, have a good time out here in Manhattanville? In, uh, well, my brother-in-law lives in Manhattanville, but he has never he has never invited us over his house, not once. I know. That's, that's why I'm calling. Well, anyways, uh, we're talking about, you know, the 40-hour work week and all this stuff that's going on, you know. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if you, if you remember this, we had the, um, 
the thing where the stores were closed on Sundays, it, it, it was a work week, and blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, everybody was closed on Sundays. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was like a family day. Right. Paramus is still like days? that. Paramus is still like that in New Jersey. This is the problem. The problem is, is the government says, let's open up on Sundays so everybody can work on Sundays. The family time is gone with that. So now, and you see the taxes and everything else. Like I live, like like I'm saying, I, I live in Manaville. My taxes on my house are twenty two thousand. I wonder if this guy lives in Manaville. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I see the property taxes in Long Island and Westchester and uh, and elsewhere, especially. And look, uh, what I'm paying is no bargain either. Uh, but uh, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I don't disagree at all. Um, so, uh, Jeff, I appreciate the call, and that's why I think this is kind of a good thing. Uh, I think that. Um... Go ahead. No, what I'm trying to tell you is, how can a person possibly work part time? Living on Long Island, you can't. Yeah, well, I hear you. I hear. Look, you're, you're, my, you're my wife a, and I, we don't even live on Long Island. We couldn't do it. Jeff, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. If you run into my brother-in-law, Josh, tell him uh, to invite us over. Eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. You know, let me take a quick break, and then we'll continue with your calls at eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. Three open lines if you want to comment. Eight three three nine six nine. 4447. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Triaz, Two Without Hats. This is a song selection from Alex Lupa, who celebrated his birthday last week. He was, uh, he worked with Curtis for a time. He was Curtis's phone screener. He was my phone screener and engineer at another radio station. Uh, nice guy. Doesn't live in New York anymore, but uh, a great guy nonetheless. And I'm hoping all of his birthday wishes come true. And I've known Alex a long time. Uh, the, one of the last, not not one of the last times, but one of the most interesting times that I ever saw Alex. We were trying to evade. We were trying to help. This is a true story. We were trying to help a an escort and the Manhattan Madam make it out of a hotel where they were in hiding without being served a lawsuit by David Beckham and get, without getting their picture taken serving that lawsuit. It's a wild story. It goes, it's about 13 years old. But this is one of the reasons that I wish I would have kept a more detailed journal back then because I won't remember all the details properly now. But one of those days I will tell that story. If, in fact, if Alex is listening... Email me your perspective of that story. And I realized I was inside the hotel. You were in the car waiting. And it was kind of a different deal. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting story nonetheless. 
All right, uh, 833-969-4447. Let me say hello to Paul in Manhattan. Uh, Hello there, Paul. What's on your mind? Yeah, hi, Frank. I just want to thank you for the recommendations of two films that you spoke about. I guess um, one of them more recently, one of them a while back, The Captain's. The thing that William Shatner did, I I watched that. I really enjoyed that, so I just wanted to say um, I appreciated it. The the other film, I guess they're both documentaries, and the other one I really liked a lot was the Pepsi film. You know, oh um, yeah, I uh, Pepsi. Pepsi, where's my carry my Harrier jet? Right, I liked them both. You know, I I just haven't seen that many documentaries in recent years, and so I took your recommendation because you know you don't know about them they're not really advertised when right. you hear someone like yourself talk about it and the uh the captain's one was so good i mean i enjoyed that uh william shatner has this really relaxing way about it way he interviewed all the other uh captains and they were great you know i learned a lot about them it was interesting uh, so did I, and I talk, and thank you for the compliments, Paul. Thank you. And if people aren't uh, familiar with what Paul's talking about, there's a documentary called The Captains, where Shatner interviews all the other actors who have played captains on Star Trek uh, up until that point. Avery Brooks, um, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, Scott Bakula, Kate Mulgrew, and Christopher Pine, and it's really interesting. Really interesting because it's almost like if one president were to interview another president, they come at that interview from a very different perspective from someone who's never held the office. These are all people that have sat in that chair and know what it's like to sit in that chair talking with one another. So if you're a Star Trek fan, I do recommend that Captain's documentary. That other documentary series that he alluded to, Pepsi, Where's My Harrier Jet? Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It's on Netflix. It's a uh, short-form documentary series. Uh, each, I think there's four episodes. They're between 30 and 45 minutes each. They're great. It's great. If you're interested in marketing, if you're interested in the law, if you're interested in soda, it's worth seeing. They're not paying us anything to say this, but uh, it, it's enjoyable. And it's short. It's short. And it's and it's well just well done. All right, 833 833- Nine six nine four 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 seven. By the way, next hour I am going to recommend an additional motion picture for you if you uh, are preparing to take notes. Let me say hello to Pamela in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. Um, yeah. First, let me preface this by saying I am anti ESG, environmental social governance, and I am not going into the darkness easily, as the poet says. Hey, uh, Pamela, um, I, don't want, I, don't want, I don't want to cut you off, so I'm going to put you on hold, and um, we, we'll, we'll let you say, unabridged, what you want to say after the top of the hour, okay? Okay. Hang on. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, it's, she's waiting a while. I don't want to give her 20 seconds to talk. All right. Um, in a moment, you will hear the exciting conclusion of Pamela's phone call. And Steven Spielberg says there's something going on with these UFOs. What is it? We'll find out. 833-969-4447. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Most of us have seen the film E.T., right? I think many of us have probably seen the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Both great films, both classics in their own right, and both have entertained legions of fans for over four decades, right? If you're going to make a list of new classics, I think those two would be at or near the top of the list. And the director of both of those pictures is Steven Spielberg. Now, Steven Spielberg is nominated for an Academy Award this year. His film, The Fablemans, which is basically an autobiographical story, that's nominated for Best Picture. So when, you know, when you have movies in contention, it's like running for office. You do a whole campaign. You do a media push. You, You see actors, when they're nominated for an Academy Award, doing talk show appearances that you've never seen do talk show appearances before. You see them uh, talking about the most intimate details of their life after they've spent 10 years saying, give me privacy, give me privacy, give me privacy. So Spielberg is doing the whole talk show circuit, and he was on the late show with Stephen Colbert Thursday night, and he had some very interesting comments. Essentially, the director of E.T. and Close Encounters who, by the way, many people believe that, that um, Close Encounters was actually largely based on a true story. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Steven Spielberg was on with Colbert saying he believes the U.S. government is actually hiding information about UFOs from the general public. I think what has been coming out recently is fascinating. Just absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the secrecy that is shrouding all of these sightings mm-hmm. and the lack of transparency until Freedom of Information Act compels certain materials to be released publicly, I think that there is something going on that simply needs extraordinary um, you know, due diligence. I mean, I, just, I, I would like to hear more about it. I don't know what they are. Uh, my imagination and my love for... You know, I, bl- I don't believe we're alone in the universe. I think it's mathematically impossible that we are the only, you know, you know, intelligent species in, in, the, in the cosmos. I think that's totally impossible. At the same time, it almost seems impossible that anybody would visit us from 400 million light years from here, mm-hmm. except in the movies, unless it figures out some way of, you know, sort of, you know, basically uh, jumping the shark, so to speak, mm-hmm. and getting here through wormholes or... Or, or, uh, so I, I'm not an astrophysicist. I really can't speak the language of the people that do it so well out at JPL. Mm-hmm. But I just know as a person that makes movies and uses his imagination and also as a person that is, that is insatiably curious about UFOs or UAPs, yes. that, that there's something, something going on that we're really not being made, made that's not being disclosed to us. I think that was very interesting. 
and very candid. And look, there are a lot of people that suggested that the basis of both E.T. and Close Encounters was a true story. Now, we know it's not me saying this. Spielberg partly based his idea on Close Encounters on the research of someone named Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who we've talked about before. He was a civilian scientific advisor to Project Blue Book, which we've talked about before. And now J. Allen Hynek eventually admitted publicly that 11% of the study's findings about unidentified flying objects could not be explained using science. And the title, which is never actually explained in the film, if you remember, is actually derived from Hynek's own alien close encounter classification system. A close encounter of the first kind is the sighting of a UFO. The second kind is physical evidence to prove the existence of an alien. And the third kind is actual contact with alien life forms. And it's interesting, Hynek, who also served as a technical advisor on the movie, makes an uncredited cameo in the final scene of the film, which a lot of people uh, don't know, but you could spot him pretty easily. He's the goateed man smoking a pipe and wearing a powder blue suit who pushes through the crowd of scientists to get a better look at the aliens. It's a great film. I know there's still some people out there who've never seen it. And you know, it's funny, as far as the leading actor, uh, the lead character in that film, obviously a lot of us know it was played by Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus was not the first choice for that. Uh, Steve McQueen was offered that role, but he turned it down because he couldn't cry on cue as something he said was essential to that character. Then they went to Dustin Hoffman. They went to Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, James Caan. All of them turned it down before Stephen asked his friend Richard Dreyfus, who obviously had worked with Spielberg on Jaws, to take the part. And look, Dreyfus did a great job, but uh, it is interesting to picture Jack Nicholson in that role, isn't it? James Caan, James Caan, wisecracking, tough guy James Caan with the with the aliens in that, or uh, making those mountains out of shaving cream, right? Uh, if you want to comment on this, I think pretty interesting analysis by Steven Spielberg that he said, and you could tell he's not joking there. Sometimes when I play clips of people on these comedy shows, folks always say, oh, they're joking, they don't really believe that. You could tell he's being sincere there. He believes the U.S. government is hiding information about UFOs from the general public. What do you make of that? 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. And he also said that he doesn't believe Earth is the only planet with life on it. What do you make of that? 833-969-4447. All right. uh, Before we went to break, Pamela in New Jersey was telling us a little bit about, uh, well, I don't want to paraphrase her. We'll let her her say whatever she wants to to say. Hello, Pamela. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, okay. Um, Thank you. Um, The solar panels is all part of this. There's nobody more of an environmental activist than I am on my block. Believe me. I have continually try to tell neighbors it's better to put in soil and plants than cement and uh, for drainage, et cetera, et cetera. 
Okay, now focusing back on solar panels. This is all part of the ESG to get rid of fossil fuels. Now, do I just love fracking? Do I love all that? No, but within reason, pipelines are safer. I don't want to die during the winter from freezing to death. You have to balance it. And I've saved animals. I'm big on animals. But I also am a reasonable person. Now, what I've been seeing with these solar panels in my neighborhood is that these people supposedly are doing it for the environment. Well, you know, let's face it, they're doing it for the money uh, a lot of times. And I'm not saying they don't have an environmental factor to it. But then I know they don't care about the environment because a lot of people are going out there illegally cutting down public trees because they want sun for their solar panels. Now, does that make sense to cut a tree? No, certainly not. And in New York, in New York, you can't do that uh, without a permit unless it's diseased. Uh, Pamela, I'm not disputing the uh, environmental aspect uh, of that. But from my perspective, right, I mean, from our perspective, I should say, uh, with the com- with, if you could get a lower energy bill and a new roof or a lower monthly bill and a new roof and these incredible tax credits for two years, I'm not talking about the public policy aspect of it, which I don't know that I would disp- dispute much of what you said. But from my personal wallet's perspective, I-, I think it still might be the right move for our household, right? Did they tell you about the jamming, the ice jamming? I have watched over the years. Some of my neighbors have had solar panels for a while. The um, snow comes down, and I know a lot about, you know, I'm pretty much, uh, I'm pretty handy. And um, the snow comes down and settles in your eaves, your soffits, and your gutters, and it sits there for days. What that causes is uh, ice jamming, and you will most likely need a new roof more frequently than others. So in the end, are you saving? And um, have you ever seen a solar panel power place where the land have been, has been uh, scorched and burned, so to say? All the landscape has been decimated to put up these horrid solar panels, much like the wind vanes. It takes miles of miles of land to provide enough solar energy to run certain, like they've, you know, they're experimenting with communities and everything. So it's not what you think it is. And these smart meters, they wanted to put one in my home. I'm holding off as long as possible. Hopefully, if we get a different government in the air, they will stop doing that. It's a way to, and I don't want to sound a conspiracy theory or anything, but these smart meters do more than just uh, relay information automatically and supposedly save you money. It's all, and oh, and the housing, the trees that they're cutting down behind your house, this, this ruling is not what you think it is. It's not affordable housing. What it is, what it is, is they're going to try to take, and and I have a two-family, so I know of what I speak. It's happening right now. They're coming down on anybody with investment uh, housing uh, with uh, extra rules, and they want to take the zoning boards away from your locality to take over by the Well, again, that's a a New York thing, uh, Pamela, and so if if people are... It's a New Jersey thing, too. All right. It's well, no, but the, the proposal that I, I think you're responding to is one of my local commentaries. So I think a lot of folks around the rest of the country may not, you know, be familiar with what you're uh, you're talking about. But well, I appreciate Sorry. The, the feds are going to do it all across the country. They better be aware of it because it's happening. Right. No, everywhere. I'm just saying it didn't get brought up today. That's uh, I appreciate that. Pamela. Thank you. All right. So we'll count Pamela as a uh, maybe on the question of solar energy, right? 
833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Tony is in Florida. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. I hope you had a good two days off. Thanks, Tony. Do me a favor. Make sure your radio's off if you could. It is. Okay, great. What's on your mind? Well, when you were telling the story about the guys that came out to your house and that you didn't really pay attention to the first guy, you know, how he looked. I mean, that's happened to everybody, you know. And I think your wife was really wrong to say what you did was racist because she knows you're not racist. And well, you like, right, one would hope. Yeah. White, yeah. So she knows you're not. So how could you be say something racist if you're not a racist? It'd be like if a middle-aged white man with a stocky build was the first guy you saw, and the second guy was the middle-aged white man with a stocky build, and you mistook him for the first one. I mean, are you racist then? Yeah, again, um, and I appreciate you sticking up for me, Tony. I'm going to have to inject you into more of our marital arguments, so thank you. But uh, I don't think she was being that serious. I think she was really making more of an observation about my uh, my lack of being observant. She's still perpetually amazed that I don't know what light switches turn on which lights in our house. So I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was exactly a uh, a sincere belief that that I'm racist. She knows I'm not racist. Obviously, you're I hope. the odd duck. Exactly. All right, eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. If you want to comment on anything that we're uh, that we're talking about. And uh, if you want to weigh in on Twitter, you could certainly do so at Frank Moreno. That's Frank M O R A N O. And uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Moreno fan. To people who are listening on WABC in New York, I said in my local commentary that I was going to uh, try and link to that Howard Husick column in the uh, New York Daily News. Well, I can't find it online, it doesn't look like it's online yet. So it'll probably be online later today or tomorrow. There's such a mess of a newspaper. So I will uh, I will link to it as soon as it's available online. Meantime, let me say hello to Cece in Brooklyn. Hello, Cece. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Um, you, you mentioned um, the point about life on other planets. Or do you think so or not think so? You were saying that a minute right. ago? Maybe? Exactly. Well, Steven Spielberg said it, but I was repeating what he said. Yes. Okay, great, great. Um I'll just give the thought. Um, I'm considering, you know, if you look up in the space, um, researchers say that there are thousands upon thousands of other bodies or or planets, stars, whatever out there, you know? So I'm like having that much um, activity or whatever out in space and say this is the only planet with life on it. For me, it's like having a thousand cars with only one driver. Yeah, I I mean, look, I completely agree. I mean, some uh, I think it's total um, naivete to think that this is the only planet in the entire universe that's capable of sustaining life. Uh, I just I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and, at another point, um, I'm remembering some time back. um, I mean, you think about it. I'm hearing from other media sources that this is the only country that tells their people um, there's nothing else. There's no, aliens don't exist. These phenomena and UFOs that we are, are hearing about, they say these things don't exist. Other countries, they'll bring their their their, their, 
their meter out and show the people in broad daylight, those things flying around up there are not from here. You know, this is the only country, the way I'm hearing it, is the only country that tells its people nothing else exists. Yeah, I don't... UFOs don't exist. And thank you for the call, CC. I think to Spielberg's point, right, now the government has been, and the front-facing Pentagon establishment has been dragged kicking and screaming to the UAP issue, but they're coming along. They're coming along, and I think gradually you're going to see conclusive proof that uh, these UAPs are, I don't know what they are, honestly. They could be extraterrestrial. They could be, We. I thought that interview with um, the fellow that did that uh, documentary that we spoke to the other day, Ron James, was so interesting the other day. They could be ultra-terrestrial, meaning another species or another type of species that's on this planet. They could be time travelers. They could be interdimensional. But I do think you're likely to see conclusive evidence of this in the near future. We'll see. 833-969-4447. Dan is on Long Island. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, kind of in the same vein about what you're talking about. Have you ever seen the movie Capricorn One? Yes. That great actor, O.J. Simpson. Yeah, that was a goodie. Yeah, uh, for people that are unfamiliar with the film, basically, and uh, Sam Waterston is in that, Elliot Gould, who's another one of my favorites, who I've had the opportunity to interview, he's great. Basically, the premise of that film is that there was supposed to be a voyage to Mars by a crewed mission, and they it turned out they weren't able to do it, so they faked it. They put it on a TV soundstage, and there's some people... I, I don't believe this, but there's some people that believe that that happened with uh, the moon landing. You forgot to mention Kojak was in that, too. That's right. That's right. Tully Savalas, the great Tully Savalas. All right, Dan. Thank you very much. 833-969-4447. Hey, speaking of films, I saw a motion picture on Friday called Triangle of Sadness, which is nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. It's a satirical black comedy. And, you know, it's funny. I used to really look forward to Friday nights to hang out with uh, a group of friends. And this same group of friends still gets together. They go to my friend's Vinny's house, maybe six or seven of them. Uh, And one, it's a lot less fun during Lent because half of them are also not drinking but second, um, I really, I rarely go now because my wife and I essentially have only two nights together the whole week, Friday night and Saturday night. So uh, especially now that uh, our nights are very limited, I try to do something with her that she wants to do unless she has plans or something. And um, it's ra- once Carmine goes to bed, it's rare that we have kind of a night together. So I, I've come to look forward to these Friday nights for the exact opposite of the mean of the reasons that I used to look forward to. I look forward to it now to stay home with Rachel. I used to look forward to it to get together with friends and, and go out. But, um, you know, I guess that's part of the, the more the, the more changes you go through as you as you age. Right. But we saw this film Triangle of Sadness on Friday evening. I thought this film was so interesting. It's a satirical black comedy. I don't even want to tell you what it's about because I feel like you're better off not knowing anything. Now, my wife did not want to see it 
because of the title. She doesn't like to see anything that's too sad. So she said, if you think I'm watching a film called Triangle of Sadness, you got another thing coming. And then I mentioned this to my stepmother who had seen it, and uh, I think she liked it. My dad didn't like it. My dad hates everything in terms of films. It's a rare film. I think he likes two films a year, maybe, maybe three. But um, she said, no, it was good. You should see it. And I said, is it sad? Rachel doesn't want to watch it if it's sad. She said, no, Woody Harrelson's in it. When's the last time Woody Harrelson was in something sad? So this was so interesting. The film is over two hours. It's about, it's about two and a half hours, like all the other Best Picture Academy Award nominees this year. But this film, there's, a, there's something that happens at the end, which I'm absolutely not going to reveal. But it leaves you wishing this film was just a little longer. I mean, how many movies can you say that about? That they go two and a half hours and then you just say, oh, please, just give me ten more minutes. It was really, really well done. Acting, five star. The story is very interesting. Uh, Armand White, who I think we're going to have on this program Maybe tomorrow. I'm not sure. He's a film critic for National Review. He did not like it. Uh, I think there are some pro-communist themes in the film, and Armand White is 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 conservative. But I thought it was so good. I really just thought it was so interesting. Part of me didn't even want to play you the trailer because I want you to go in fresh after seeing it. But I thought, all right, you know, it's just audio only. Maybe some of you need your appetite wet. This is the trailer to the film Triangle of Sadness. So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? So it's a grumpy brand, yeah. Congratulations! Show me that Balenciaga look. Suddenly I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M! Yay! Balenciaga! And H&M! Balenciaga! And H&M. It looks paid for the tickets. Not bad, huh? <laughs> so what do you do? I sell s- The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. It's always yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I command you, enjoy the moment. No. 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 <laughs> what? You say no to me? No, no. Oh, so it's yes. It's, yeah, no. Yes. Go in. Yes. Woo! Ah! The saints. Do you think it's possible to wash them? I don't think that's possible, ma'am, because this is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails. It was sails. Yes. Well, then, in that case, we will clean the sails. Yes. Of course. Yes. Oh, um, it's gotten very good reviews, mostly. Some people, you know, this was a a good description. I'll just say that this is from, um, this is Alicia Prasad, a film critic of One Room with a View. This is what she called it. Utterly unhinged in the best possible way. Guaranteed to elicit enough laughter to make your stomach ache while also leaving you with plenty to think about afterwards. My wife and I saw this on Friday. We were still talking about it on Sunday afternoon. That's uh, how much it stayed with us. We both 
Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think she she liked it a lot as well. It won the uh, Palme d'Or, or the Palme d'Or, at the Cannes mm-hmm. Film Festival. And it, it said, uh, Aaron Newworth of We Live Entertainment describes it as containing what's likely the grossest the grossest set piece I've seen in a movie awarded the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. There is There are a couple of scenes that are tough to watch. I'll just say that. I'm not going to get into why. They are tough to watch. Um, but I think it's important to watch. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. I enjoyed it immensely. And if you see it, I'd be curious as to your opinion on it, or if you have seen it, what your opinion was. You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Or go to Ted Wow Gigs. That's Ted Wow, G-I-G-S, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is Stefania by the by Kalush, the Kalush Orchestra, to be polite, to be precise. This is actually one of the top songs in Ukraine right now. And given everything that uh, that Ukraine is going through, I felt uh, the least we could do is uh, play some of the music that they're enjoying. Am I right? 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. Two quick things that I, uh, that I have to mention that, I, uh, that I've gotten a bit of a kick out of. What, uh, they both have to do with game shows. And I'm a game show fan. I like watching them. I like uh, playing them. I like, um, uh, you know, I love hosting them, even if it's in radio form. I'd love to host a game show on a regular basis. There, I don't watch Wheel of Fortune. I don't like that program. But the, Annie Goutney, a teacher from Florida, was on Wednesday's edition of Wheel of Fortune. In And there were two tricky letters that separated her from taking home $7,300. And I read about this. I didn't get to see it, and we weren't able to find the audio. Otherwise, I would, I would play this for you. But all she had to do was fill in the correct letters during a food and drink category puzzle that already spelled out. This is what was already on the board. She just needed two more letters, two more. Warm toasted B-A 
blank, E-L-S, gee, I wonder what that could be, with L-O blank and cream cheese. So there's only two letters left. The category is food and drink. The puzzle already spells out warm toasted B-A blank L's with L-O blank and cream cheese. So Goutney correctly guessed the incomplete first word to be bagels, but then guessed that the second word was low instead of the correct locks, which is, of course, sort of like a, a smoked salmon or a brine salmon originally from Scandinavia. It was the New York Jewish community that popularized locks on a bagel with cream cheese. It remains a favored breakfast item on the East Coast. By the way, uh, for all our Jewish listeners, happy Purim tomorrow to everybody that's celebrating. So she finally asked for an X to be placed on the board and proudly read aloud warm toasted bagels with locks and cream cheese. And then Pat Sajak, the host, said, yeah, that's a much better recipe. But while you had a, a bunch of passionate number of locks lovers flocking to Twitter asking how this woman seemingly didn't know what locks was, others said they, too, were not familiar with the ingredient. I was blown away by that. Again, I didn't see the show live. And this is one of the things that frustrates me about Wheel of Fortune. Everyone that goes on that show, and I like Pat Sajak, um, everyone that goes on that show seems really nice. But more often than not, they don't seem too bright. I hate to say that about anybody because I don't like to sit in judgment of anyone. But like Jeopardy, I feel like, okay, these are bright people. Even if they're getting all the answers wrong, they're, they're smart. So one person on Twitter writes, what is locks? Never heard of it. I've seen much worse Wheel of Fortune screw-ups, one user noted. While another stated they would never show my face again if they guessed low instead of locks. One, one person says, my dad and I were appalled. My mom was more understanding, but I feel like Florida has so many New York transplants, she should have known. Now, that's kind of where I am. How does anyone not know? Forget about I know some people don't like locks. I love locks, please. My goodness. I know some people don't like locks, but how could you not know that locks exist? What are you, hiding under a rock? Certainly not hiding under a lock. 833-969-4447. Am I living in too much of a bubble? Am I living in too much of a New York City bubble that I assume everyone that knows what locks is? There's only one letter left. And there's only a finite number of letters it could have been. And she thought it was low. Bagel with bagels with toasted bagels with low and cream cheese. What's low? I think she should play the $1,000 minute. Yeah, she'd fit right in on the $1,000 minute. 100%. Yeah, it is kind of amazing. But I will say this. You know, when I went to college in Connecticut, that was the first time I ever heard of fluff. I didn't know what fluff was. Well, look, I don't think fluff is as common a food item as locks. Probably not. And the other thing that I found pretty funny was I, I called the local pizzeria. And I said, I want a large pie. And they said, a large what? 
Wait, in New Jersey? In Connecticut. Oh, in Connecticut. I said, I want a large pie. And they were like, a large what? I said, a large pie, a large pizza pie. They go, oh, pizza pie. We thought you meant like an apple pie. <laughs> they didn't know what I meant by pie. And I didn't know what a grinder was either. It's a, it's a sub, writer right. or a hero. I had no idea. Yeah, well, you know, no that's clue. a big thing. I mean, uh, those are all like sub, submarine sandwich, like regional hero, hoagie, grinder. Those are all the na- different regional names for the same thing, right? It's like right. pop, soda pop. But soda. I, had, I had no idea, and there was a sign-up list on the dorm, like my floor, for a grinder party. And I felt like an idiot because I didn't want to ask what it was because I'm like, there's a list for it for a party. I should know what this is. Well, see, that's why I feel bad, you know, even poking fun at Miss Goutney here because she's a good sport and she seems like a nice lady. And she even made fun of herself in her Facebook account, promoting her appearance beforehand by noting that there would be a few embarrassing moments. Because I don't feel like anybody should be embarrassed to ask a question if they don't know something. But I'm wondering if it's just me. Maybe I assume that locks is much more universally known than it is growing up, you know, my whole life in New York City. What do you think? 833-969-4447. I was blown away that she couldn't get this. 833-969-4447. You'd think Floridians would know what locks is. Florida has a heavy Jewish population. And even, like, you don't have to be Jewish to like locks. I love locks. I'm not Jewish. And you don't have to be Jew- You don't have to like locks to know what locks are. Don't they have them in bagel stores down there? I would assume they do. All right. 833-969-4447. Uh, Kenneth, you know what locks are, right? Kenneth? Sorry to interrupt. You know, you know what locks are, right? Yes. Yeah, and so you would have gotten this clue. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. So even if even Kenneth is getting it, I have to think it is, um, you know, it's a, it's a thing that most What are most you trying people, to say, Frank? No, 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 nothing, nothing at all. If you're from, uh-huh. if you're from New York, you're going to know what locks is. There's, right, there's so no, that's what— There's but, no way about but, it. Yeah, I, would, I would have thought that would be the case for Floridians as well. You would think, since there's so many New Yorkers in Florida now, but if you're, you know, born and raised in Florida— and you're not Jewish, are you going to know what locks is? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 tell me what you think. 833-969-4447. All right. Uh, the other game show that has been making a lot of news is Jeopardy. And there's something, there's an observation that I've had. And then there's an, there's an observation that I agree with in an article that I read. Now, Jeopardy we watch every night in our house. We, we love Jeopardy. And if you've been watching the last week or two, it is the high school reunion tournament. What is that? So they have this Jeopardy high school tournament. They have a tournament. Of, they have a college tournament as well. So what they did was they tracked down kids that played on the Jeopardy high school tournament five or six years ago, and they found them all. And they put them in a – they said, we're doing a reunion. Here's the problem, though. It's three weeks. It's way too long. And my wife, when I put Jeopardy on the other day, now, whatever, I'm working during the show, so it's kind of just put something to put on in the background. And my wife said, they're still doing this high school reunion thing? When is regular Jeopardy coming back? It is getting a little bit much. And there's an article uh, in a bunch of different publications saying 
that the fans are getting frustrated with this as well. And again, I hate to turn to the Twitter sphere because I don't want to empower them. But three weeks of Mayan Bialik on Jeopardy feels like I'm being punished for something. I probably deserve it, but I'm still not happy about it. That's a comment from Matt Cap. I think Mayan Bialik is doing a fine job. I think the hosting is absolutely fine. I am with the people that think this high school reunion tournament has gone on too far. And I'll tell you what really has driven me crazy about it, has driven me up the wall. At the end of Final Jeopardy, every show, and it's not just the high school reunion tournament, but it's especially true of the high school reunion tournament. You know what really grinds my gears? You put your response to Final Jeopardy. You know, if the if the clue is, this person was the first president of the United States, you put, who is George Washington? That is correct. And then you see... Who, um, what that person wagered. And they say, oh, they wagered $1,000. What I've noticed is more and more contestants are using this as an opportunity to say hello to their family and friends. And it's gotten to the point, it's gone from being cute to annoying. It used to be, and the, the adults do this too. It's not just the high school reunion tournament. But it used to be, if you knew you didn't get the answer correct and you had no idea of something to guess, then you put, oh, hi, Shauna. Um, okay. Or if you know you got the answer wrong and, and or, you know, you put, oh, thanks for the opportunity. I had fun. Thank you. Now, people are doing it all the time. I watched Thursday, I think it was Friday night's game. I think two of the players, might have even been all three, I think two or three of the players all wrote it including ones that got the correct answer. I'll tell you what I'd do if I was the host. I recognize this is more of the purview of the judges. If I was the host, sorry. If you put the right answer, what is, you know, Timbuktu, what is Sudan, and then you add hi to all my family and friends, no, sorry. That's an incorrect answer. The The correct answer is what is Sudan? It's not, what is Sudan, hi to all my family and friends. And I'm not trying to be a spoil sport here, but it's gotten to the point where essentially people are using this Final Jeopardy moment as an opportunity to deliver personal messages. No, no. Once in a while, if you have no idea what the response is, can't even make a guess, okay, then put a, hi, Joe, fine. But I don't like this at all, this response and then hi Shirley am I alone in this 833-969-4447 Paul's in Connecticut hello Paul hi Frank if I was on that uh, was it family feud question if uh, I was looking at a menu say you know I'd, I'm from New England so but I'd still you know feel better if it was smoked salmon they could have worded it as smoked salmon and, and cream cheese on a bagel. That would be more familiar to people, you know, if they not sitting in a fancy hotel by the pool looking at a breakfast menu saying they'd but, like But you think, you think you smoked salmon is a more common way to refer to it than lox? I think so. Really? I, I don't. I disagree, Paul. I, I, I go to bagel stores and restaurants a lot, far far more than I should, honestly. And very rarely does it say smoked salmon. I mean, it's got to be a pretty high-end place. 
they're, they're charging you an extra four bucks if they're calling it smoked salmon instead of lox. But I, I don't agree. I don't agree. But, hey, that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. Or that's why there's scallion cream cheese and lox bread. Oh, love lox bread. You know, again, I'm trying to, during my Lenten abstention from alcohol, I abstain from everything, right? No carbs, no no cheese, no no fat, no anything. And you, uh, you always end up, you know, losing a lot of weight. But so we went to visit our friend yesterday and they had my two. Now I'm, so I'm not having bagels now, obviously, but they had my two favorite bagel fixins. They had lox and they had whitefish salad, which I absolutely love. And uh, my wife doesn't like lox, but uh, I would have been all over that lox. It was it was it was it, I, I don't want to say it was difficult because it's not uh, to me. Once you make the decision, all right, I'm not going to eat any of that stuff now. You, you don't. But it was very difficult not to have a bagel with all my favorite lock with all my favorite bagel fixins there. 833-969-4447. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, hi, hi. Happy hi, time hi, to hi. you also. Um, you. So the, you know, Lox is, pers- is a name of a person from Europe, a uh, Jewish European Jew who started Lox. That was his last name. He came here in the 1800s, so it was an easy way to have, in those days, people couldn't afford um um, like pastrami or corned beef, and everything came from you know started with the lox, and then then uh, corned beef, pastrami. Um, you know that's you know if you go Second Avenue Deli, right? So, so I, I understand also, like, where lox come from, Simon. I, I guess I'm I'm not sure. So does am I right to be surprised that this woman couldn't get the word lox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Maybe she's from the the west. No, she's from Florida. That's what I'm saying. And thank you. Uh, Thank you there, Simon. Charles is in Queens. What do you think? Good morning. Good morning. I just remembered the joke where Martian lands his, uh, parks his UFO and goes into a bagel store. And he sees bagels. He never saw that before. He says, what are those? And the guy says, bagels. Oh, bagels. Those must be great with cream cheese and lox. (laughs) <laughs> Jewish Martian <laughs> That's very funny I like it Charles That's pretty good Stan is in Astoria Hello Stan Hi Frank uh, Listen I've been uh, surprised You're talking about locks In Florida and New York I've asked guys at the job There's a lot of guys Under 20, 25 years old Who don't know what anchovies are Well I am I am mildly surprised uh, To hear that but I feel like lox are is a more common food item than anchovies. Well, we were having pizza, and I go, you ever have pizza with anchovies? And guys were asking, what's that? And I'm surprised that, you know, living in New York, how can you not know that there's, you know, it's even in salads some places. You would, oh, yeah. Well, every, every proper Caesar salad recipe has anchovies. At least anchovy paste. All right, Sean. Yeah. Frank, enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Stan. I'll try. Appreciate it. 833-969-4447. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno. So it's very interesting. I received an SMS text message from uh, none other than male model wannabe Kenneth um, around uh, 8.30 or so last night. And uh, he informed me, to his credit, he informed me and a couple other people, Gentlemen, there's a drought here again. There's no water. Now, I was glad that he mentioned this because what did I do? That is the sound of my water bottle clicking the microphone. I brought my own water. I I have asked previously, you know, and I understand on the weekend there's not staff here to replenish the supplies. I have asked previously when we run out of water, just give me a heads up and I will bring water. And you know what I did last time I was here? I brought a whole bunch of water. Last time there was no water. I bought water for everybody, and then there was still a water surplus. And I hid the water in different strategic places around the floor so that I could find the water. And for the life of me, no no joke, I can't remember where I hid all this water. So I bought all this water, and then sure enough, I uh, was not able to find it. But I brought my own water. But uh, I was telling my wife, you know, I, I appreciate Kenneth letting me know because now I know to bring water. Yeah, Kenny finally found something he's really good at. <laughs> and she said, well, you got to give him credit on air and thank him on air since you uh, since you mocked him on air from, because uh, he didn't tell you before. Hey, uh, Thomas Nodine writes me on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter as well, at Frank Moreno. Smoked salmon and lox are different. Both are made from salmon, but different. Okay, yeah, but, I mean, it's similar, right? I mean, it's in the same family. So I I think um, my point is still the same. People should all be expected to get that game show clue. There's one letter missing, you can't figure out it's locks. Clearly, that woman had never heard of locks. And I'm just amazed that there are apparently a sizable amount of people that don't know what locks are. Uh, but yeah, he is right. Uh, there is a difference between smoked salmon and locks. The main difference is smoked salmon is cured and then smoked, whereas locks is only cured. So locks are not smoked, whereas. Smoked salmon may as well be a, a cigar. It gets smoked all day long. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Hello, Robert. Top of the week to you. Likewise. Yeah, top of the week. Top of the week to you. Likewise. Um, Nat reminded me of the pie story when I was visiting in New England, Connecticut, especially. When we'd order a hero, every hero came with cheese. We didn't ask for it. That's just how they make it. Well, I mean, that is fascinating, Robert. I guess there were all these uh, little customs that you have to get used to in every community. When I was in Canada as a little boy, I don't know if they do this everywhere, but I was surprised in whatever section of Canada we went to. and We went near the uh, Niagara Falls. And I think we went to some other parts of Canada as well, my mom and me. We, I was surprised that when you'd go to a restaurant and you'd get a sandwich, a lot, and I don't know if this was just where we were, but this happened repeatedly. So I think it might be a Canadian thing. 
when you'd go to a, a restaurant or something or a diner, whatever their equivalent of a diner is, they would put butter on sandwiches, if I remember correctly, almost like it was mayonnaise. They would use butter like mayonnaise on sandwiches up there. So whatever. It's, it's all part of the learning curve, I suppose. All right. Uh, by the way, you could join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. You know, a lot. I, every day I get emails asking me to uh, take action against one Facebook user or another. My response to everybody is the same. Like, unless people are so out of bounds in terms of violating the rules of the group, just block them. I'm not going to. Th- I don't like throwing people out of this group because a lot of people I suspect don't have a lot of real life interaction with people. And maybe it's helpful for them to be able to connect with people about the show and debate about topics that we cover on the show. That could be a a big thing. But if people are bothering you that are in this Facebook group, just block them. Just block them and your problems are over. So um, don't give it a second thought. Don't spend any time writing to me. Don't spend any time engaging these silly feuds. If someone's bothering you, just block them. That's uh, if, if you want to join the group, it's Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. That's uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. The only thing I would ask is please just keep it topical. Before you post something in that group, just say, you know, as Frank talked about this, has this been a subject on the show? Has there been a guest on the show that has covered this? And if the answer is yes, maybe just post that on your own. I mean, the, the answer is no. Maybe just post that on your own Facebook page rather than uh, post it to the Facebook group, which is ostensibly about this radio program. But if you can post something topical, I'm all for it. Obviously, you know, everyone always um, criticizes me because I'm always praising Ellen. But the reason I like Ellen's posts is because she's so thorough. She basically posts a, a summary of the show with her opinions on each of the segments every day. Some other people do that and they'll just email it to me. But I think it's such a great conversation starter for maybe people that didn't hear the whole show and for people that, um, you know, that are curious about certain things that they may have missed and want to know someone else's opinion about it. I think it's a great conversation starter. I wish everybody would do that. So it's facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. By the way, if you ever miss a portion of the show, you can download the podcast at redapplepodcastnetwork.com. That's redapplepodcastnetwork.com. You can also search in any podcast app, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. There's also another gentleman named Richard Hoagland who does a show called The Other Side of Midnight, uh, a podcast called The Other Side of Midnight, which is actually pretty good. Uh, They do some whacked out subjects on that show as well. And um, I was in touch with him about trying to come on this show, but I don't think he wanted to stay up too late, ironically enough. But I'll reach out to him again. It would kind of be fun to do a a crossover episode of The Other Side of Midnight. But do uh, search and subscribe to the podcast, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Moreno. Next hour, we got commendations coming up and a lot more. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Monday, and what better to start your... What better way to start your Monday than by knowing who's done something good, something meritorious, something favorable, something that deserves a thumbs up or a formal official... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Let me begin with uh, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. I like Dave Grohl. We've played some of his music on this program before. He did that song, Everlong, the acoustic version of which is just so beautiful. It's really just magical. Dave Grohl spent over 24 hours volunteering at a Los Angeles shelter to prepare barbecue for hundreds of people experiencing homelessness, once again, proving he's everybody's hero, the Foo Fighters frontman had brisket, pork butt, ribs, and more delivered to Hope the Mission's Trebek Center in Northridge, California on February 22nd. He arrived around 3 in the afternoon, and he was in their kitchen preparing the meat. He was cutting it up, and he was there until he put it in the smoker. The meat didn't go in the smoker until midnight that night because Grohl said, oh, it has to season and it has to do this. And this is clearly a guy that is a craftsman when it comes to barbecuing. And the fact that he and his fellow barbecuers spent 24 hours there, they took turns smoking the meat overnight, even as a major windstorm moved through Southern California, dumping hail and rain on the shelter that night. Until it was ready around 3 p.m. in the afternoon the next day. The meal that he had started wasn't ready until a day later, 24 hours later. He stayed there the whole time. This is a guy, this is literally a rock star. I think that's great. I think that is great. Dave Grohl, I do commend you. I must also commend 8-year-old Kazen. K-A-Y-Z-E-N. An Arkansas boy who tried to help a friend of his. Kazen shared that with a little help, he started a GoFundMe fundraiser to raise funds for his friend and favorite Waffle House server, Devante. The eight-year-old said he has come to know the worker from eating breakfast at a Little Rock area Waffle House. The boy shared that Devante is a hardworking dad with two little girls and a wife. Kazen described him as a dedicated worker who has to walk or get a ride to work every day. According to the GoFundMe account, Devante was looking for a decent-priced car but found mold in the family's apartment that has set them back. Kazen said they're helping Devante and his family get into another rental property but started the account with the hopes of raising funds to help get the family a reliable vehicle. After five days, the fundraising efforts have gained enough attention to more than double the $5,000 original goal. As of Friday, the GoFundMe fundraiser has raised more than $11,000. Isn't that incredible? This Waffle House server owes what's likely to be a new car for his family and a whole new way of life to an 8-year-old boy. Why? Because he befriended him, because he was nice to him. It pays to be nice to people. And this is the latest example of that. Uh, eight-year-old Kazen of Arkansas. I do commend you. I must also commend 
Colonel Paris Davis, President Biden on Friday, awarded retired Army Special Forces Colonel Paris Davis the Medal of Honor for repeatedly risking his life to save his men during a fierce ambush nearly 60 years ago in Vietnam. Biden said the honor of bestowing the medal upon Colonel Davis may be the most consequential day since he's been president. He's an incredible man. Now, I don't care what you think about Joe Biden or his politics. He's exactly right on this one. Biden uh, is 100% right when he talks about what an incredible man Paris Davis is. He was among the first black special forces officers despite efforts to dissuade his service. Thankfully, Paris didn't listen to him, and he helped write the history of this country. The Medal of Honor is awarded to any military service member who distinguishes himself conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity intrepidity, at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. So congratulations to you, Colonel Paris Davis. Thank you for your service. I must commend the Grandview University softball team. This is really interesting. You could see video of this. Uh, Breitbart and a number of other publications did articles on this. In a grand act of sportsmanship, a college softball team joined in unison to help an injured opponent round the bases after she hit a grand slam but twisted an ankle running from first to second. Uh, So, actually, the formal commendation is for the Southeastern team because Caitlin Moses, she plays for Grandview University, and she hit a grand slam. And then just after passing first base, she fell to the ground, unable to continue running. And her teammates were just stunned at what happened next. See, according to the league rules, team members cannot help an injured player run the bases. And if a player can't run on the bases, the runs don't count. So once Moses's opponents realized that she couldn't finish her run after her grand slam, they gathered as a team to carry Moses around the bases to earn her run. Southeastern players helped Moses touch second, third, and home in a grand display of good sportsmanship. This is wonderful, and it's something that everybody should see. And uh, I commend the Southeastern University girls softball team for doing this. A true inspiration. I want to commend retired New York City firefighter Rocco Chiarichella. This is really great. Uh, This is a retired firefighter who helped the crew of a Spirit Airlines jet put out a mid-air fire. See, this is my experience with firefighters. Every firefighter I know, they are a firefighter all the time. And they're always rushing to help people. They're always looking to be of service. And I love seeing this. Flight 259 was en route from Dallas to Orlando on Wednesday afternoon when a passenger's vaping device battery caught fire in an overhead bin. I thought these devices weren't allowed on airplanes. I don't understand. So Rocco was flying with his wife 
And he noticed that the plane started to drop altitude and somebody yelled fire. He said smoke was billowing out of the overhead bin. So he jumped to help the crew put out the flames, leaving him with burns on some fingers. The footage shot by a passenger shows Rocco and other crew members working furiously to put out the fire behind before the Airbus A320 landed in Jacksonville around uh, 2 p.m. It was a battery-powered vape tied to a battery charging inside the compartment. Very dangerous. And it ignited a piece of luggage next to it. So this fella, a retired fireman, said it was just instinct. It was lucky we got to it right away. We averted a major uh, problem. Guys, don't bring your vape on an airplane. Don't bring your vape charger on an airplane. Don't do it. Don't do it. They catch fire. All right, I must commend Eli Lilly. I uh, I speak a lot, obviously, about prescription drugs and the crisis when it comes to prescription drug pricing in this country. And look, ultimately, this is something that we're going to have to deal with as a country. This is unsustainable health care costs in this country, especially for people that are. We have a listener, David, in the Bronx, who has been forced to uh, shoulder a lot of the burden when it comes to the exorbitant price of insulin. Eli Lillen, excuse me, Eli Lilly announced that they are slashing the list price for some of its insulin products following years of criticism from lawmakers and activists that the price of this life-saving hormone had become unaffordable. So now um, they are going to lower this a bit to $35, which is great. What's even greater about this is this is starting a race to the bottom. Civica, a nonprofit drug maker in Utah, for example, they have said they plan to begin selling their insulin, their insulin, which is biosimilar, for roughly $30 per vial by next year. That's $5 more than the new price of Eli Lilly's generic insulin. And other, other companies are also following suit, and I think that's great. This is what we want, competition to offer consumers lower prices, not l- these drug companies looking to outgouge one another. And I tell you who I have to give credit to again on this: Lena Khan and the FCC. No, F E. Uh, yeah, the uh, FTC. So many this alphabet soup: FEC, FCC, FTC. Lena Khan and the Federal Trade Commission. She has done a great job on this, and she really made this her fight. Now, Eli Lilly can take credit for this, and I'm giving them credit. I am. But they got a little bit of an arm twisting from Lena Khan uh, of the FTC. And I don't care what you think about Biden. His appointment of Lena Khan is, as far as I'm concerned, one of his finest appointments. And her role, once again, on this insulin drug pricing issue has been exemplary. Uh, Let me commend Dylan Rubel and Garrett Jensen. These are two engineers working at Boeing who broke a record that has now been certified. They broke a record for longest paper plane flight. They set a new world record for farthest flight by a paper aircraft, sending a sheet of paper... 290 feet. 
Can you imagine a paper airplane 290 feet? This is extraordinary. This paper airplane should be in the museum somewhere. It should be in the Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Um, they accomplished the feat with the help of Nathaniel Erickson. All three of them are going to be cited on the Guinness World Records page, although Rubel is the one who threw the plane on its record-shattering flight. They studied origami and aerodynamics for months, putting in 400 to 500 hours of creating different prototypes to try to design a plane that could fly higher and longer. So they ended up going with an A4-sized paper and went up to the maximum for weight, 100 grams per square meter. The heavier the paper, the greater the momentum when you throw it. It takes over 20 minutes to accurately fold the record-breaking airplane design. Isn't that incredible? I was never great with making a paper airplane. I could do a very basic design, but I could never... I would look at friends of mine. They would make these kind of cool airplanes and get them to fly a dozen feet. I thought that was cool, let alone 290. Sheesh. On the day of the attempt, they achieved the record on the third throw. So congratulations to them. I really do think that's something to be proud of. I want to commend Fremont, California. I've never been to Fremont, California, but I'm going to go because for the third straight year, Fremont, California has been named the happiest city in America. This is from a report on the personal finance website WalletHub that put Fremont on the top of its 2023 Happiest Cities in America rankings. The report compared more than 180 of the largest cities across three key indicators of happiness, including income growth and depression rate, and Fremont topped the list for the third straight year. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to them. The least happy city, in case you're curious, in the entire country, Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. I want to commend Katrina Cohell. Cohell? Cohell? K-O-H-E-L. How would you pronounce that? I'm going with Cohell. Katrina Cohell, a senior at Morrill High School, has been cheering alone at the Nebraska State Cheer and Dance Championships. Why? The rest of her squad quit the team a week earlier. So this girl, this teenage girl, A Nebraska high school senior competed alone at her state's cheer competition. The rest of the team all quit. She said it wasn't a hard decision, adding that she was thrilled with her performance. Uh, A week and a half before this championship, three freshmen quit the the, uh, cheerleading squad for personal reasons, leaving just one girl. And she and her coach, they debated what to do next. Would they make the five-hour trip all the way to Grand Island, Nebraska to watch the three-day high school dance and cheer competition? Would they sit it out altogether? Well, neither of those options worked for Katrina Cohell. And after talking it over with her mom, she told Ott she wanted to make the trip to perform the routine she'd worked hard to perfect all season, even if that meant taking the mat by herself. I think this is great. Coel told um, the newspaper, the Nebraska Insider, she's been cheering on her high school's team for four years and that she dreamed of being a cheerleader since her parents took her to the high school football games 
as a little girl. I mean, that's my kind of young person. Independent, a real leader, not at all put off by going it alone. I, I like that. That's my kind of person. I would like to. Th- I was never into cheerleading, but I'd like to think if I was, I would do the same thing. And finally, I want to commend Tommy Pasquale of Randolph, New Jersey. He successfully walked from the Atlantic to the Pacific nearly 3,000 miles from Manasquan, New Jersey to Venice Beach, California, 3,000 miles in 143 days, all to raise money and awareness for America's homeless veterans. I think this is great. Since completing the trip, he raised nearly $97,935, and um, I think this is really incredibly admirable. And uh, I think it's a travesty in this country that there's any homeless veteran. No veteran in this country should be homeless. And I recognize there are a lot of factors here. You got PTSD, you have drug use, alcoholism, substance abuse, a lot of other things that might be at play here. If you're going to serve our country in the military for a week, a month, a year, two years, this country owes it to you not to let you go homeless. And I commend this gentleman, Tommy Pasquale, for helping America fulfill its commitment to these homeless veterans. And you talk about an impressive um, an impressive feat. Walking 3,000 miles in 143 days? Very impressive. All right. If you want to comment on anyone that I have commended, you're welcome to give me a call. 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. We do have a new number today. Uh, So if you prefer the letters, Ted Wow Gigs. That's T-E-D-W-O-W. G-I-G-S, Ted Wow Gigs, 833-969-4447. We'll take your call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is that uh, acoustic version of Everlong from uh, Dave Grohl. Listen to this.
I wonder. 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. You know what I find mildly annoying? I don't even want to say it grinds my gears, but I do find it annoying. People that don't respond proportionally with communication. What do I mean by that, right? If you email someone, I think unless the email says, please text me or please call me, if you email someone, whatever it is, an article, um, you know, uh, you know a, an arrangement to socialize, a professional situation, whatever the case may be, if you email someone, they should email you back. It should be email for email. If you send an SMS text message to someone, unless the SMS text message says something like, give me a call or let me give you a call or when's a good time to call. If you send an SMS text message to someone, they should text you back. I can't tell you how often it's a situation where I'm able to email or I'm able to text, but I'm not free to talk. And so often someone will call me when... You know, I'm able to fire off a text message, but I'm not free to talk. And then I'll have to tell this person, oh, sorry, so-and-so, I'll, I'll have to call you back. Which you would know if you just responded via text to my text and said, hey, you know, when's a good time to call? Um, but here's the other thing when it comes to email and that whole situation. I've noticed, and some listeners do this. There's people that email me from their phone number. And I have friends of mine that do this, too. They'll email you back. It'll be instead of uh, from frank.morano at, say, uh, whatever, gmail.com, it'll say, oh, 916-999-5555 at txt.com. And they send that via email. And my question is, why do you do that? If you want to text me, if you want to use your phone number to text me, Text me. You got my number. And if you don't, it's 8168-MORANO. That's 8168-MORANO. If you want to email me, then use a proper email address. Because what happens is friends of mine end up emailing me from these phone number. My, my friend Richard Stratton, he is the worst with this. He emails me all the time from his phone number. And, and Richard's a brilliant writer and a great guy. But what are you doing? Why not just use your email address? Because every time I get one of those emails from a phone number, I have to then go look up the phone number and see, oh, do I have this person on my phone or not? Um, It's really quite irritating. Hey, a quick follow-up to a story that we were doing on Friday. We were uh, – we got a call from um, Madeline in the Bronx who was asking about a promo that plays on WABC in New York. This is a little bit of the call on uh, from Friday's edition of Ask Frank Anything. Madeline is in uh, the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Madeline. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, speaking of radio business, I have two questions. Sure. One has been driving me crazy since Rudy Giuliani came on your station. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the promo where at the end of the promo – this woman with this great spirited voices and mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani. And I know I should know her voice. 
Do you know the promo I'm you talking know, I, about? I do. And I told her that it was either Oprah or Yolanda Vega. And and she said, oh, no, it's not Oprah Winfrey. She dismissed that. And uh, sure enough, Matt Blaze said that he saw the video and he found that it was Oprah. And uh, by the way, if you're not sure what promo we're talking about, this is what it sounds like. America's mayor. The mayor of New York City. Here to talk to you. Coming up at 3:55 p.m. Listen to Rudy Giuliani for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. So it's a good promo, great voice. And uh, Igor was kind enough during the show, and I posted this to the Facebook group. So if you want to watch the video, you can um, go to uh, Facebook.com/slash/groups/slash/Radio Morano. It's up there. He was kind enough to send me the link to the video. And here is the full clip, and I think you'll – and I, I watched the video too, and you can see it is Oprah. This is from the prayer benefit that they did at Yankee Stadium after September 11th. So this is 22 years ago, Oprah Winfrey introducing Rudy Giuliani. This is the whole context of it, just so so you understand where that came from. Because people have asked this before. This one, and, and I'll, I'll play the clip, and then I'll tell you what other people ask for. I know you want to hear from him. He's the man of the hour, a man whose extraordinary grace under pressure and the days since this devastating attack has led him to be called America's mayor. He's the mayor of New York City. Ladies and gentlemen, Rudy Giuliani. So that's the full clip, and I did watch it, and it is indeed... Oprah Winfrey. One of the common questions that I get is that and also the clip at the that we play at the top of the hour where it's somebody saying uh, you're running a strange program and what's that from? And I've answered this before, too. But in case you have that question, it's Wesley Snipes in New Jack City. All right. Uh, 833-969-4447. A couple other items that I want to get to before we run out of time. You know, I know people have varying views of this situation in Ukraine, and great. That's what America's all about, right? It's not what Ukraine's all about, but it's what America's all about in terms of allowing people to have varying views of the Ukrainian situation. That being said, the whole idea of prohibiting Russian athletes from participating in in uh, international competitions like the Olympics, like the marathon, like whatever, international golf, uh, tennis, whatever, whatever the case may be, of banning Russian or Belarusian athletes from participating, it is just, it's nothing short of idiotic. Anybody that thinks that's a good idea is a buffoon. And I hate to say that because I respect everyone's views. It's so stupid. And the reason it's stupid is, is because think about what the Putin opponents are saying. Putin's opponents are essentially saying that Putin's a dictator, he's an autocrat, he controls that country, Russia's not a real democracy. Okay, if Russia's not a real democracy, how do you hold an athlete responsible for the actions of the government? I mean, that makes about as much sense as prohibiting American athletes for the Iraq war during the Iraq war, which everybody knew when it was an international travesty. Uh, if you were to prohibit American athletes, would that have made any sense? No. Now in theory, that would have made more sense 
because at least on paper, America is a democracy, and we elected the people that led us into that Iraq war. But it's a story for another day. I don't think that would have been right either. I have to give credit to Ukrainian tennis player Oleg Prikodio, uh, uh, Oleg Prikodko, uh, and he has said, and he's all for the Ukrainian cause, hates the Russian invasion and all that, but this 25-year-old is ranked as the 121st best tennis player in the world in doubles. And he typically doubles with a Russian player, a Russian player by the name of Jan Bondarevsky. And Oleg Bridhodko has said that banning Russian and Belarusian athletes from international sport only makes the conflict worse. Of course he's right. So this 25-year-old told, um, I don't remember which media outlet it was, but he said, I I played a couple with a Russian because he's my friend. And I played a couple with my friend. For me, nationality doesn't matter. In my opinion, a person should be judged for his actions, not by his nationality. He continued saying, in general, I believe that such condemnation of athletes only fuels the conflict more. Thus, athletes begin to make war on and off the court, turning into instruments of war and forgetting the basic principle of the sport. Oleg then went on to say that he's been ridiculed for not identifying himself as a Ukrainian on his Instagram page. His relationship with the Tennis Federation of Ukraine has also declined as a result of this stance. He refused to play for his country in the Davis Cup last year, even after being offered payment. Oleg believes that Russia and Belarus should be allowed to compete at the Paris 2024 Olympic and Paralympic Games. I, as an athlete, do not understand this. I understand for all that for all the guys that this is a dream that they have been going to all their lives. I believe that sport should unite people. In ancient times when Olympics were held, all wars stopped. And now it's a part of the war. I believe that athletes should be given a chance to realize themselves. For most, this is the only Olympics in their lives. I just put myself in their shoes, and I wouldn't want to be removed from the most important event in my life that I've been going to all my life. This man, for a man of only 25 years of age, to have this degree of poise, maturity, and wisdom is extraordinary. This man is exactly right. Olympics and international sports in general should be used as a way to heal division, to heal rifts. It should be obviating the need for war, not allowing the war to continue into the world of sports. He said it much more articulately than I ever did, but he's exactly right. This is why we have international sports competitions. It's not to continue the war. I completely agree with every word that he said. Every single word. All right. Uh, 833-969-4447 if you disagree. By the way, on the subject of Ukraine, I have to tell you, from the moment I interviewed her three years ago, I have never been fond of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I have no problem with people that are extreme. But to me, you know, if that's what you believe. 
But for me, Marjorie Taylor Greene Green is, ex- is generally extreme for extremism's sake, meaning she does it for a social media following. She does it for attention. She does it to get on television. That being said, um, I think once again on Ukraine, she is exactly right. She, as far as I'm concerned, she's right on the money. And again, it drives me crazy whenever I agree this enthusiastically with her. But that was, again, the case this weekend. She spoke at CPAC and uh, she could have spoken for me when she said this. They've said they're coming for our children. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to kids... I think the Republican Party has a duty. We have a responsibility, and that is to be the party that protects children. Now, whether it's like Zelensky saying he wants our sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine. And she said, um, we should be promoting peace. Europe should have peace and the United States should do their part. Ukraine is not a NATO member nation. And Joe Biden said in the beginning he would not defend Ukraine because they're not a NATO member nation. It doesn't make sense. And the American people do not support it. I think this is that the this and then she made these comments uh, during her CPAC speech in Maryland on Friday. I think the U.S. should be pushing for peace in Ukraine instead of funding and continuing a war that seems to be escalating and putting the entire world at risk of World War III. I completely agree with her. I completely agree with her. Now, um, you know, I've talked before about uh, my voting history I was an enthusiastic supporter of Donald Trump in 2016, a pretty enthusiastic supporter of him in 2020. But my enthusiasm, and I think he's done a lot, he did a lot of good things as president, but my enthusiasm has significantly diminished for him um, as a presidential candidate. And namely because I think he's carried himself in such an unstatesmanlike manner since the election. And uh, I would have a tough time voting for him again. And I think he's actually served, rather than to be a unifying force, which I wish he were, I think he has actually um, served to foment greater divisions in the country. So I've said repeatedly that I I would have a tough time voting for Trump again. Um, And, you know, I'm hoping that one of these third-party options, either no labels or forward will come together with a third-party option. That being said, I think Trump is saying all of the right things on this Russia-Ukraine situation. And I do truly believe that uh, Trump would be able to end this conflict. And if I end up voting for Trump again, it will be because of this. Because I believe that nuclear war will be far less likely if Donald Trump is president. And ultimately, none of these other issues matter if there's a nuclear war. Nuclear war is the global game changer. And um, that might be the one thing 
that gets me voting for Trump again. This is the last thing I'll, I'll say on the Ukraine front. There was a fascinating article in The Intercept. I'm going to share this right now on my, uh, on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash Fan From Jeremy Scahill, the disturbing groupthink over the war in Ukraine. At this dangerous moment with threats of nuclear conflict looming, we need a vigorous debate about U.S. policy towards Russia and Ukraine. And essentially, Jeremy, Jeremy goes into how we haven't really had a real debate on this country. And anybody that questions the current U.S. policy is labeled an appeaser or a Russian puppet. I've been called both of those things, particularly because of the false choice, either let Putin conquer Ukraine completely or flood Ukraine with weapon with Western weapons. It's so insidiously and dishonestly pushed by the elite power structure in D.C. and Europe. The fact is that prominent U.S. officials and pundits have stated from the very early stages of this war that Ukraine is a convenient battleground to debilitate Russia and hopefully end Putin's regime, which is very different from a moral duty to protect the defenseless. Keep that in mind. By the way, I I know I said that was the last thing I I would mention on Ukraine. This is the last thing that I'll mention on, uh, on Ukraine. The thing that you've got to look at when it comes to Ukraine is who is getting rich because it's so often the case where you have to follow the money, follow the money, follow the money headline in the guardian. They're lobbying for Ukraine pro bono and making millions from arms firms. Some of Washington's most powerful lobbyists are providing their services to Ukraine for free, but they also have financial incentives for aiding the country. So, the Ukrainian cause, and what, you ask yourself, why are we funding Ukraine to the tune of $100 billion, but not other countries that are at war with their neighbors or their oppressors? Well, Ukraine has some very good lobbyists, some of Washington's best connected and most powerful. And they're, they're, they act like they're doing a real public service to the world by providing their lobbying services to Ukraine for free. But at the same time... They're taking in millions of dollars in fees from Pentagon contractors who stand to benefit from the country's war with Russia. So U.S. law requires agents of foreign governments who are engaged in political activities to make public disclosures of their relationships under FARA. Remember, this is what uh, Paul Manafort got in trouble for. Twenty-five registrants have agreed to represent Ukrainian interests pro bono since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Before the war, just 11 were doing it. Um, And many of these new pro bono Ukrainian lobbyists are pushing for greater U.S. military support. Uh, You got Hogan Lovells, BGR Government Affairs. You got Mercury Public Affairs. You got Navigators Global. uh, uh, Several others. And... It's true. All of them are representing Ukraine for free. But at the same time, 
they're getting millions, millions from their role also lobbying for military defense contractors. So don't believe this is all motivated by altruism. You have to follow the money. We give the money to Ukraine either directly or in terms of military aid. Somebody's got to make that military aid. Somebody's got to make those Javelin missiles. Somebody's got to make those tanks. Somebody's got to make those F-16s. And the people that are making those F-16s pay millions to the folks that are lobbying Congress on behalf of Ukraine. So that's not reason in and of itself to not go along with it, but it is something to keep in mind. You always got to follow the money. 833-969-4447. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Cow Sales singing We Can Fly. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, You can join our radio soiree by dialing 833-969-4447. By the way, one of the things that we do probably more often than we'd like to in our house is we get groceries delivered to our home. So... um, we use uh, when we go to the grocery store the one by our house that my wife likes the one that we go to very often is stop and shop and so their home grocery service a lot of weeks we just don't have time to go to the grocery store her her schedule's packed my schedule's packed we're working looking after karma and you know always with 10 social obligations a day and um we get the groceries delivered and through this service called uh, Peapod, which I call Podbean. So my wife said to me yesterday, what is that service that ShopRite offers that someone told us about recently was cheaper than Podbean? I said, I have no idea. No idea. So she goes and researches it, and she finds it. It's called Instacart. Instacart. And it's basically the same thing. (laughs) And she fills out her whole order on Instacart, just as she would with Peapod and the prices do look lower. Lo- and she was only getting $100 worth of groceries. Lo and behold, there, in terms of fees, uh, there was $25 worth of fees to use Instacart on a $100 order. So needless to say, we did not use that. So if you use Instacart, 
just be aware of all the fees that you're being charged. Now, maybe it does make sense if the grocery prices are lower and you have a very large order. Maybe it does make sense to to use it, but not for $100. To pay $25 in fees? No, thank you. Um, but maybe people have had a different experience. I don't know. 833-969-4447. Stu in Brooklyn has been patiently waiting. Hello, Stu. Hey, Frank. Two things. Uh, you commented earlier about treating the veterans. Trump instituted a program called Community Care that allowed vets to get treatments not available through the VA. The genius in Washington has decreed that the funds for that program are going to be cut. Wow. That's one thing. The other thing is Ukraine. You're a smart guy. Let me ask you a question. The basis for all of the money that's funding it on the Russian side is oil. There's nothing easier to disrupt than the infrastructure. Guys I know who are uh, highly trained special forces types could go in there and overnight take that down in 24 hours. Well, we, we just we, that's just that's just what happened Island with the ended the bunnies. Right. That's just what happened with the Nord Stream pipeline. Well, the Russians did that. No, they, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. You got to read this. Stu, I'll let you say whatever you want. I'm not, uh, but you have to read this Seymour Hirsch piece. Uh, the evidence that the United States blew up the Nord Stream pipeline is overwhelming. I mean, there's uh, there's no credible reason why the Russians would do this themselves. It was absolutely the United States government. All right, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not impossible. The CAA has done dumber things like the Bay of Pigs, where I actually was at. I participated in that. Thank you. But my reasoning is that the Russians had everything to gain and nothing to lose by doing it. The pipeline was down. They did it in the shallowest part of the Baltic where it could easily be repaired. The Europeans made this already, and the Russians would add the, to, the, to that, uh, that aspect of it by creating turmoil in Germany and France where the manufacturers are used to cheap Russian energy. So the Russians had more to gain by disrupting it than we did by making the Europeans worse enemies of us than they already are. Yeah. They're barely putting up money into the Ukraine now. Yeah, Stu, I think if you read the Seymour Hirsch piece, I think you'd be pretty convinced that this uh, that the United States did this on their own. But let's say you're right, right? Let's say you're right. Uh, well, let's put Nord Stream aside, whether you're right or, or I'm right or Seymour Hirsch is right, whatever. Let's put that aside. Um, your plan of uh, disrupting the oil infrastructure, do you think it's wise to actually attack Russia, be it just the infrastructure, when they have the largest stockpile in the world of nuclear weapons? You really want to get into a hot war with the biggest nuclear power on the planet? Nobody's going to use nukes. The Chinese Taiwan. They can buy Taiwan. Uh, well, uh, uh, so you broke up a little bit there, but um, I I think that uh, counting on the goodwill of Vladimir Putin 
and that he will respond in a proper, a proportional retaliatory way. I think that's not a good strategy at all. I think it's no strategy. I think it's a dramatic escalation, which, quite frankly, is is I think very dangerous. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Good morning, Frank. Frank, Jimmy Carter boycotted the. Uh, I think it was. I'm not sure the '68 Olympics because Russia invaded Afghanistan. No, the 1980 well, Olympics. Invaded, 1980 Olympics. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you for those numbers. <laughs> but. Uh, and that that led to the uh, army of the Mohajadeen, which led to worldwide jihad, never-ending, thank you, CIA. Now, I, I do not agree with anything that Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I say God bless her for sa- trying to save our men and women from going to, to the meat grinder that the Zelensky wants to, wants to send them. Because Ukraine will not be happy until they get the Marines or 82nd Airborne over there to fight this war and then it'll turn into an atomic bomb war and then everything's over so i you know god bless you frank for for standing up to these warmongers these cia warmongers i i'm a vietnam veteran i have a son who's in uniform right now you know and all these chicken hawks were crying war 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 i want to see them take their children their grandchildren or their sons and daughters to the recruiting station right now because our military is hurting for soldiers sailors airmen Warmongers, take your prodigy, take your spawn to the to the military recruiting stations, or shut your mouths. Thank you, Frank. Well, thank you, Ron. Yeah, I think we're on the same page on this one. Look, I don't think people that don't have family members that don't serve in the military, I don't think they lose the right to speak up about American foreign policy. I, I look, I've never served in the military as you have, Ron, and as Stu has in uh, in Bay Ridge there. But uh, I, I still want to be able to give my opinion. That's what makes America America, right? Is we have the we all have the right to. It's not Sparta, where if you're not a soldier, you're not a citizen. No, we're all citizens. We all pay taxes on on the substantial cost of these weapons that we're sending to Ukraine. So we've all got to say. But I agree with most of what you said there, Ron. With the exception of uh, that the children of these warmongers should be forced to enlist. Yeah, I have a feeling they would be making different decisions if that was the case, but I, I don't think that's the case. I just wish more American people would pay attention to not the cartoon character-like way that the D.C. establishment has framed this fight, but actually look at where this money is being spent and qui bono. Right. Who benefits? All right. Uh, you want to comment on anything we've done for the last three hours? You're welcome to 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Next hour, a fascinating story which has people cheering. I'll tell you about it in a moment. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side at Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thank you for listening. One of the things I like to do is pose ethical questions to you and see how you handle them, right? And pose different scenarios to you and ask what you would do. Well, there's an interesting story that's getting a lot of attention. It was published in the Sacramento Bee, which is a California newspaper, but it seems to have taken place in Canada. Do you know what Reddit is? Reddit is like, um, it's a so, I don't even know what how you describe it. I guess it's a social media platform. It's really like a message board. I guess that's the best way to describe it, where you post something. I've never really posted anything on Reddit. I've never done anything on Reddit. But it's a, a website, R-E-D-D-I-T. It's a website where you post things and people respond to it. Simple enough. But unlike my understanding of it is, unless I'm – and anybody that knows about this is free to correct me. Unless I'm incorrect, unlike Facebook where only the people following you can comment or Twitter where the people following you uh, are seeing what's in your feed, anybody can comment on a, a given thread even if they're not following you or whatever the case may be. I think it's more topic-driven than personality-driven. That's my understanding. But like I said, I've never used it, so I don't know. Really not your main here. In a post on Reddit, a forum on Reddit, there's a user named GoodNeighbor123. That's the username on Reddit. And he shared this story with thousands of Redditors. That's what the people that call, that use Reddit are called, Redditors. Quote, big shout out to our Canadian audience, by the way. I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners. I live in a major city in Ontario, Canada. I live on a small subdivision and have five neighbors total on my street, he explained. For the past few years, during the winter, when we're getting a lot of snow or a bad storm, as I'm leaving for my overnight shift at around 8 or 9 p.m., I'll pull, I'll put my wife's windshield wipers up on her car and do a quick walk around to my other five neighbors and put their windshield wipers up on their car. You know, I've seen that in storms. I always wondered why people did that until I read this article. Now I have a better understanding. When expecting a snowstorm or heavy weather, as well as staying warm, it's important to be aware of tips and precautions to take on, you know, to make sure you can ensure safe traveling. Before weather hits, they say, and this was news to me, They say it's advisable to lift windscreen wipers or windshield wipers to make it easier to scrape ice and snow from the windshield and prevent soft rubber wiper blades from getting frozen into glass. This guy goes on in his thing here and says, it's just something nice I like to do to look out for my neighbors. I had no idea about this. I'm going to start doing this for my neighbors. Because I'm in the same boat that this guy is. I work the late night shift. I leave my house, especially when it's a winter storm, around the same guy that this, the, around the same time this guy does. They're always grateful of this and thank me for it. But recently, a new neighbor moved in, and the man's kind actions were not as well received. Listen to this. It was snowing. Really heavy, and we were supposed to be getting almost 30 centimeters. Remember, they have the metric system. 
almost 30 centimeters of snow, and it was freezing out. So I put my wife's wipers up and do my usual quick walk around to the other neighbors. I was hesitant when I reached my new neighbor's house, as I've only introduced myself once, but did it anyway. As I was putting the second wiper up on their pickup truck, the husband came charging out of his front door yelling, Hey, what the blank are you doing to my truck? The man tried to explain to his neighbor that he was just putting his wipers up to prevent any freezing issues before the weather hits, but he didn't take it well at all. He continued to, this is a quote from this guy's Reddit forum. He continued to scream at me to get the hell off my property and don't touch my blank again. The wife then came out and started yelling at me too. I apologized and started walking away. Some of my other neighbors heard the commotion and came outside to see what was happening. They tried explaining to him, too, that it's just something we do. Both of them wasn't having it. That's the way that he reads it. But the next day, the man arrived home from his his night shift and found his new neighbor struggling with her car trying to get the ice of the windshield wipers, the the ice off the windshield wipers, to take her children to school. Quote, she sees me and yells over, Hey there! Do you mind giving me a hand, please? What would you do? 833-969-4447. I'm going to tell you what he did, or at least what he wrote that he did. I have no idea. He could have made up this whole story for all I know. I don't think he did. It has like a ring of truth to it. 833-969-4447. So this guy is puts up the windshield wipers for all his neighbors. The new neighbor says, curses at him, yells at him. The wife curses at him and yells at him. And sure enough, the very same type of incident that he tried to prevent She has a tough time the next day. What would you do if you were this guy? 833-969-4447. Matt Blaze, let me begin with you. I would have helped her. You would have helped her? Absolutely. I would have said, you see why I was doing this? And then she would have probably laughed and said, yeah. And then I would have helped her. That is the same thing I would have done. Kenneth, what about you? Yes, so what I hope there's all right. So we're all in unison. I'm imagining. See if uh, Alex Barnard has messaged me with his opinion. Not yet. I'm imagining that's forthcoming. He's farther away, so it takes us longer to get the uh, Alex Barnard opinion. What would you do? Eight three three ninety six nine forty four forty seven. That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited. All right. Um, As you weigh in, I will tell you what he did. But um, Bob in Manhattan has been patiently holding. Hello, Bob. Hello. Hello. Hi, Frank. Can you hear me? Perfectly, Bob. Hello. Yeah, I just had a question for you. Um, How much, before you give these accolades out, the number of people you select for your commendations, what kind 
kind of research do you do behind the scenes? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I kind of just read the papers. Okay, well, here's a question for you. You gave an accolade or accommodation to the one remaining girl who remained on a cheerleading squad. And your explanation was the entire rest of the squad left for personal reasons. Well, no, not not the entire rest for personal reasons. The last remaining members of the squad. Uh, oh, and three... they all left for personal reasons. Right. So okay. simultaneously, they had personal reasons at the same time. He never stopped to think for a second. The reason why they all left was an issue like sexual harassment or something else. And the one remaining was the one who should have left. Do you ever stop to think about that? And those girls who all left the team simultaneously for personal reasons had a very good reason to leave it. So you think their female coach was sexually harassing them? I don't know who was sexually. It could have been sexual harassment. It could have been any number of issues. But no one can tell me the balance of the team leaves simultaneously for personal reasons. Bob, let's say you're it right. Look, let's it say that doesn't look into Bob, the reason. Let's say you're right. Let's say you're right. Right. And let's say they all left because for the best of reasons. Let's say the uh, the school was um, you know being run by a white supremacist. For one girl. Uh, to go there and compete against all these other cheerleading teams, it still, I think, takes an enormous amount of grit and gumption. Well, and maybe I, and I'm giving her credit for maybe, that. Maybe it took grit, and maybe she was just uh, a, uh, a renegade. Um, I, and I give her credit for that. I give her credit for that. She's a free spirit. I, I, I think that's I great. Don't, I don't listen. Adolf Hitler had many friends when he died. And that what, mean wait, did you just say Adolf Hitler? Did you just say, wait, Bob, 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 slow down. Did you just say Adolf Hitler did not I have said, many? I used an example. I used an example of just because someone hangs on to the end doesn't mean they're a wonderful person. <laughs> That's right, thanks. Bob, so Bob. you're not so smart. I refuse to com- compare a a 17 or 18 year old cheerleader in Nebraska to Adolf Hitler. I, I mean, which, which, which is just what you did. Um, so there's no comparison. There's no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. Quite. I don't know that I need to say anything more. All right. Uh, getting back to this story out of Canada, 833-969-4447. This guy was told by his neighbor, don't, touch my effing truck don't touch my blank and the next day his wife who also yelled at him and cursed at him needed help in the storm getting her kids to school what would you do we all said we would help anyway 833-969-4447 what would you do let me begin with neil in maryland hello neil good morning frank always a pleasure Likewise. uh <clears throat> I, I lived on the great lakes 20 years, so I've been through a number of blizzards and so forth, but I had this kind of almost exact thing happen to me where a neighbor down the street from me and their family weren't too pleasant. <laughs> and uh, When we you were trying to do this same back. thing, the windshield wipers? Uh, no, something similar, though. We had, um, we had a big back-to-back storm, 52 inches of snow, and 
one of the daughters who had young children thought she would come out in her like high heels and everything and try to go dig her car out. <laughs> and I saw her from not too far away from where I was. And I went over and dug her car out, even though I didn't really like their family very much. I mean, I, I helped them because they needed help. And then another little quickie, my next door neighbor had a snow blower. And one day we were all out in the neighborhood shoveling snow and digging out. And he came out in his snowsuit and his snow blower, did his driveway and went right, right back in his garage. And I looked at my neighbors and I went, well, wasn't that the epitome of arrogance, you know, just to take care of yourself? Well, he overheard me say that. And his wife approached me the next day. And I apologized, and I, ba- I made some baked goods for the both of them and sent them over. So, you know, you just have to be mindful of your neighbors and try to get along with them, especially if your title is, is this guy was good neighbor, one, two, three. I think he probably was a good neighbor. So you would help this lady out? Of course, you've yeah. got to help people. Yeah, out. I agreed. Agreed. I completely agree with you. Th- thank you, Neil. Look, in my neighborhood, on our block, we're blessed to have some really uh, terrific neighbors. Everyone looks out for one another. And, um, you know, we have one, two fellas. One of them moved, but one of them is still there. They do the whole block in terms of their snowblower, and they don't have to do that, right? And, uh, and I always try to salt our, my neighbors on, um, you know, both sides of my house. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody does. Uh, they do that whole thing. Although I didn't know this windshield wiper thing. Somebody in the Facebook group just compared my lack of knowledge on the windshield wiper to me making fun of people that don't know what locks is. First of all, I don't think I made fun of people that don't know what locks is. I was bewildered that people didn't know what locks is in that context with only one letter away. I don't think it's at all as universally known about this windshield wiper trick. Alex Barnard, what do you have to say for yourself? I actually, I had texted you earlier saying that I probably would, but I'm going to amend my answer. Are you? Okay. Yeah. I don't know that I would help only because I have such a, like a revenge fantasy. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think complex I, in my head that I and I get so I, I don't get enough satisfaction from the tiny minor inconveniences that are that occur in my regular life that something like this would probably just set me over the edge and just I would say, you know what? No, I'm not going to help you out. Right. I, and it, but it also does depend on the severity of the uh, of what we're asking for. Obviously, if it's something like this where your windshield wipers are frozen, sorry, I'm not going to help you. Lose. Um. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You do have sort of like a vengeful little, little bit. you know, a, a passive aggressiveness if, to you. Even if it doesn't help me in the long run. Right. Exactly. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I get some minor satisfaction in my brain of letting revenge fantasies play. Yeah. Out. No, I, I, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Uh, that, but okay, okay. I, I think a lot of. Pe- I think you're speaking for a lot of people. Mark in New Jersey, what would you do? Mark. Oh, I'm sorry, Frank. Good morning. Thank sure. You. What would you do? First, Mark? first of all, first of all, I wouldn't. I don't think I would have it in me to be able to just walk onto somebody's driveway at any hour without a relationship first established. I think you're showing respect by not engaging and assuming what other people think about anything. Well, I, I'll like agree with that. Else. But he did apologize, though. I understand that completely. And I wouldn't think twice about ha- helping her in the morning. If anything, in the morning, that's the neighborly thing to do without me first going on to her property or anybody's property the night before. 
I think you're showing more respect to a neighbor when you're maintaining your space and letting things evolve to push your, to push what you think is valuable or neighborly is not what another person thinks. And I think in the end, you're being more respectful by not assuming anything, mm. but being the first one there to help in the morning. Okay. I would uh, I would not disagree with you, Mark. Uh, look, I think he probably did overstep initially, even though he was trying to be nice. But I think he his apology seemed sincere, and it absolutely should have been accepted. I'm with you on the latter end of how he should have handled this. By the way, does everyone know about this windshield wiper thing? Everyone knows about this except me. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Um, you, you never heard of putting the windshield wipers up so I've they don't freeze? I've seen it, but I didn't know why they did it. I didn't know why they did it. And and now it makes sense because I have had plenty of frozen windshield wipers in my day. All right. Well, so I will get back to the rest of you. Joe and Ron Konkuma, he's always a wise person. Joe, what would you do here? Hey, Frank. I hope you had a great weekend. Um, I would definitely help the lady out. I want to share a quick story. I used to, uh, used to do all my neighbor's driveways with my snowblower until an incident that happened last year. Um, the people next door to us, I think I might have told you this story. Uh, they're in their 80s, and I would always take care of their driveway. And uh, last winter storm, my Jeep tires on one of my trucks was an inch over their property line. And they made such a fuss about this. I mean, they even brought their kids into this. And my wife told me that if you ever go and do another nice thing for one of the, uh, any of your neighbors in the neighborhood again, she would never talk to me again. And, you know, um, I learned my lesson, Frank, from, you know, going on people's property and the, the kids got extremely, extremely like violent with me saying that, uh, they never asked you to do this and to leave them alone. And, uh, I mean, I would help somebody if they were in dire need, like, you know, like they had to go get the kids, like that lady. But after that incident with uh, their kids screaming and yelling at me, I stopped being such a nice person in the neighborhood, and it was—it really hurt me deep down inside. Oh, I—I I, I would feel the same way as you, Joe. I don't understand why people don't simply just appreciate the fact that you're trying to do something nice, especially when you're getting children involved. Talk about a way to uh, hand them the wrong, uh, teach them the wrong lessons. Joe, uh, I wish you were my neighbor. Uh, hopefully, maybe one day that'll be the case. So th- thanks for all, right. all you do for your neighborhood and for this show. You're a good radio neighbor, I'll say that. All right. Well, let me tell you what happened. I'll reading again from this Reddit forum. She sees me and yells over, Hey there, you mind giving me a hand, please? I look over to her and I yell back, no, sorry, thought I was never to touch your blank again, ma'am. And he walked back inside. She yelled back at me, wow, ah. Now, Florence Ann Romano, uh, this is according to the Sacramento Bee, Florence Ann Romano, no relation to Frank Morano. Joe Franklin would always call me Frank Romano. A lot of people do that, but whatever. Florence Ann Romano, um, personal growth strategist and author of Build Your Village, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, I don't know what it is. 
a, a, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of life, told Newsweek, I am horrified by this behavior. I understand that the neighbor may have been nervous about seeing someone touching his truck, but after the explanation, he still continued to act irreverently and crassly. Clearly, this gentleman, and I use that term loosely, has no manners. She's talking about the guy that yelled at the other neighbor. Second, when the wife found herself in exactly the position the good neighbor was trying to advert on her behalf, she should have used that moment to apologize and humble herself for her actions the previous evening. Being helpful and friendly are the expectations of living in a community. You look out for each other, there to help if and when it's needed, and should follow this simple rule. Treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated. When the man told his wife about the altercation, she said that he should have helped the neighbor despite the argument. So the wife agreed with Matt Blaze, with me, with Kenneth, but the online Redditors sided with the man. All these commenters sided with the guy who didn't help the wife. It's good to refuse help to people who rejected your help, especially for the exact problem you tried to help them with. They, they'll they either solve the problem themselves or learn not to shout so much before getting the facts. Another commenter said, the fact that she can cuss you out the night before and then turn around and expect you to help when you already tried is baffling. But obviously maintaining good relations with your neighbors can be helpful from avoiding any awkward conversations while taking out the trash to looking out for one another's homes. For those looking to build a strong relationship with your neighbors, Romano suggested, quote, when I moved into my home, I left small bottles of bubbly on each doorstep with a card attached, introducing myself, giving a little background, and providing my contact information. After the fact, my neighbors called, dropped by, and texted to thank me and introduced themselves, too. It was made for a really lovely feeling of warmth on my block, and we're there for each other when needed. It doesn't take much to be kind, and putting in the effort with your neighbors is worth it every single time. So uh, the story appeared in, in Newsweek. Uh, I, I guess the Sacramento Bee reprinted the Newsweek article. It it looks like the people online agreed with the guy not helping the woman. Whereas Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and I, we all agreed with the wife that he should have helped the woman anyway. All right, 800-848-9222. Robert in New Jersey, what would you have done? Robert, I got you. No? Okay. Uh, It's just as well. We're going to try and give away some money. Uh, If you are the seventh caller to 833-969-4447, that's 833-969-4447, we will give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you could do that, uh, then we will give you $1,000. Be the seventh caller right now, 833-969-4447. We'll play the $1,000 minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. 
I'm Frank Morano. By the way, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, um, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Just search that, and it will come right up. Um, we've got a lot of other interesting things to get to. Those of you that are on hold and would like to make a comment, either about this or anything else that we're, we've been covering, you can give us a call at 833-969-4447. Uh, in the meantime, it is uh, just about time for us to play. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we're, we're having a minor phone issue that we're trying to get uh, straightened out. So as soon as that is obviated, we will uh, we will continue with our uh, with the thousand dollar minute. If you're new to the show, if you're listening to the for the first time, if you just stumbled upon us on the radio, if you're not sure what the show is about, if you're not sure what the segment is about, we play the thousand dollar minute every morning right around this time. And uh, basically, it's a simple contest. It's a fun contest basically my one minute to be a game show host. It's where we get to ask someone 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and if they get them right, they win $1,000. We've been doing this for about uh, two and a half years. No, not that quite that long, maybe about two years. And in that time, I believe we've had three people win the $1,000. And it's a lot of fun. People play along at home. They see what they would would get right and what they would get wrong. All right. We have a contestant. Al is on Long Island. Hello, Al. Hi. How are you? Good, Al. You familiar with this contest? Yes. Okay, great. So if you're ready, we'll get started. I'm ready. Okay. Um, what is your name? Aldo Varielli. What day of the week is Easter. Sunday. Who is the governor of Florida? DeSantis. Who did Donald Trump defeat in the 2016 election? Hillary Clinton. What actor starred in the films Forrest Gump, Philadelphia, and Apollo 13? Hank. We'll take it. Tom Hanks. What baseball player holds the record for most stolen bases? Ron Swoboda. No, I'm sorry. I I love Ron Swoboda as a Met fan, Al, but no, uh, uh, he was not um, the kind of speed demon that Ricky Henderson was. Ricky Henderson has the record, but um, you got uh, five questions right. You lost on question six. You were doing it at a great pace, too. Al, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information, and we will give you something nice, okay? Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, I appreciate it. Hey, speaking of uh, presidents and presidential candidates and this and that, you know who is not running for president? 
the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. We have a lot of listeners in Maryland. And um, he, uh, we have, we're heard on WCBM, Talk Radio 680. Great, great radio station. One of my favorite radio stations in America. And uh, they've been uh, the, the, the more it's just a wonderful, wonderful radio show and radio station. And they've done a lot of the same things that WABC in New York has been doing in terms of investing in weekend programming. And I really think that's the future of AM radio, what WZBM is doing, what WABC is doing. And, um, you know, why would you want to have lame infomercials on on the weekend when you have real talk programming. So anyway, um, the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, told CBS News yesterday that he will not run for president. It was a tough decision, but I've decided that I will not be a candidate for the Republican nomination for president. I I care very deeply about the country and uh, my party. I think I've been a voice of reason to try to get us back to a place where we have a more hopeful, positive vision for America. I think we've made a difference, and I don't plan on walking away. I'm going to continue to stay involved in that fight for the soul of the Republican Party, but I'm just not going to do it as a candidate for president. So he uh, seemed to leave the door open to maybe backing Mike Pence. Uh, He indicated he would not back Trump. He's not a Trump fan. And look, it's difficult to see where Larry Hogan's base is. Um, I feel like there's room for one strong anti-Trump candidate. And when I say anti-Trump candidate, I mean a candidate that is outspokenly against Trump. Not a candidate that's not Trump, like DeSantis, but someone that kind of repudiates Trumpism. So maybe it's Larry Hogan. Maybe it's uh, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. Maybe it's Chris Christie. I don't know. But it will not be Larry Hogan. I think Larry Hogan is an interesting guy. I think he's certainly a smart guy. I think he was a pretty good governor. And I think he's got a lot to add on the political spectrum and in public service. And I hope he stays involved. I mean, it sounds like he will. You know who is maybe running for president? Joe Manchin, West Virginia senator of uh, a Democrat who is facing a very tough reelection. They asked him, well, are you going to run for reelection next year? When are you going to decide? This is what Joe Manchin told Face the Nation. Are you going to endorse Joe Biden if he runs for reelection? Oh, there's plenty of time for the election. This is the problem with America right now. We start an election every time there's a cycle coming Yeah, he's up. the leader of your party. Uh, I, uh, I, no, the bottom line is let's see who's involved. Let's wait until we see who all the players are. Let's just wait until it all comes out. My main purpose right now is to work for my country and my, and my state. That's my responsibility. I'm not going to make my uh, announcement for anything until the end of the year. I'm not going to make a decision what my political position is going to be or where I'm going to do for my political future. I won't do it until the end of the year. i got too much work to do now. And, you know, he had said, I thought, that he was not going to run for president, but they pressed him in that interview. They said, well, are you... Are, are you still considering running for president? He says, I'm considering everything. So I, I'd be shocked if Joe Manchin ran for president. I can't see it. But um, I think he is probably the only Democrat that could hold that West Virginia seat if he does run for re-election. So you have Joe Manchin, maybe. I'll characterize that as leaning no. You know who else might be running for president? Well, ro- as a Democrat, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the son of the former attorney general and New York senator, Robert Kennedy, who, of course, was assassinated during his own presidential candidacy in 1968. 
This is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told a crowd in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm thinking about it. Uh, you know, I'm past the biggest hurdle, which is that my wife has green-lighted it. And... So it's going to be interesting. I, um, you know, obviously Robert Kennedy ha- Jr. has name recognition that's probably greater than someone like Marianne Williamson, who also recently announced her candidacy. But a lot of his message, which is, uh, I'll characterize as anti-vax, I think that resonates probably more on the right than it does on the left. So I'm not sure in a Democratic primary how much of a constituency there is for a Robert F. Kennedy. Now, he does have a strong environmental record. He's always been very, very outspoken on global warming. So maybe that'll make up for some of the anti-vax activism. I don't know. But, um, you know, we'll see where that goes. It certainly would be an interesting race. If Robert F. Kennedy Jr. were to get into it, we'll see. I do hope there is a primary. I hope um, there's a vibrant contest among both the Republicans and the Democrats. And then I hope there's at least one strong third party candidate. Hope, hopefully more than one strong third party candidate in the uh, in the general. So um, tonight I was invited to this uh, this this. Great dinner by our, our owner, John Katsimatidis, and I think all the on-air, uh, the talk show hosts were invited. It's uh, for a foundation that I really like. It's a, a foundation, the, the Golden Mike Awards. It's the Broadcasters Foundation, and it's a great group. And I know the head of this, Tim McCarthy, and he was my boss at WABC, actually, years ago. And uh, he is a great guy and is doing a wonderful job. And this group does great things. They sponsor, they take care of broadcasters that have fallen upon tough times, which, look, obviously, if something ever happens to me, I love that there's a group like this out there to make sure that my wife and child don't starve. And uh, I love helping groups like this and love going to events like this. It is difficult to go to a nighttime event and then, you know, bring myself to do the show because... That's usually the time that I will prep or spend time with my family. But if the invitation is coming from, you know, the folks at our network, I'm happy to go. Here's the thing, though. And I was in a similar position last year. They didn't tell me about this dinner until Friday. And I just found out yesterday. And I guess I should have known because this was the case last year. But. Look, I didn't know about this dinner before Friday. Apparently, this is a black tie affair, but I do not own a tuxedo. Now, I've been in this position so often now, I think I'm just going to have to buy one. Um, I used to have a tuxedo years ago when I was in the event videography business, and I did get a lot of use out of it. I'm just going to have to buy another one because this happens too often. So I don't really want to go to the difficulty of... When, when I say difficult, I don't want to go to the time and expense of going out and renting a tuxedo. So what I'm thinking is, I think I'm just going to wear a dark suit with literally a black tie. I have a black tie. I wear a black tie, white shirt, dark suit. No one's going to care, right? 
do people are people going to care if it's a black tie affair and I walk in there without a tuxedo? What do you think? 833-969-4447. I think it's fine. I think this is what I did last year. You know, um, and the event starts at six, which is five hours earlier than I normally get in. So it, it is a little it's difficult to go to. You have to kind of rearrange your whole day around. this. So for me to ha- go to a, a tuxedo store before that, I, I it would be a real a real struggle. Uh, I don't I'm not going to do. it. So if that gets me in trouble, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. If uh, Alex Barnard is hosting the show tomorrow, you'll know why. Ralph is in New Jersey. He's been patiently holding. Hello, Ralph. Okay. Uh, with regard to war, rumor of war, and you have a caller who talk about, you know, our giving away arsenals over to Ukraine, and well, at the same time we're selling those arsenals over to Taiwan. Now, are you of the opinion, frankly, that the military-industrial complex they are more of a war monger in this country, and you know they really want to spark inside uh, or uh, provoke a war because that would mean money flowing into their uh, pockets. Well, I don't know. What do, Look, you, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I don't know that they w- want a war necessarily. I think they want a war footing, and I think they want um, countries spending a lot of money on their militaries. Which means more money for them. So I, I thank you. I I don't think they're rooting for anyone to lose their life. I don't. I think they're rooting to make money, and they will take any conflict and inflate it, and inflate the threat, and inflate the need for American involvement, and a need, and inflate the need for bigger and better weapons made by presumably them. So. Uh, I, but I'm not going to go so far as to say that they're rooting for people to lose their lives. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Frank, you better wear that tuxedo. Well, so you think I should go out and rent one? Hell yeah, Frank. Don't be a standout. Go out and rent a tuxedo. Well, what, what do you think happens if I go wearing a dark suit? You're going to stand out. Nobody's going to like it. You're going to be rejected. Don't don't. You need a tuxedo, weedo, whatever. But keep in mind, I'm probably going to be at the same table with someone, you know, wear, wearing a red beret and red sateen jacket. Why I, do you I, care about anything that man says about you? Well, no, I don't. Every Saturday night. No, I don't. But I'm saying, on you. I'm why saying, do you care? Norman, I don't care what he says, but I'm saying, why would I be the standout instead of the beret clad Avenger? <laughs> you got a point, Frank, but I don't know. If they say black tie, go out and uh, go out and wear. Go. You, you probably look nice in a tuxedo, Frank. Go get a tuxedo. Ah, uh, uh, it's just it's. I have to go and first of all, I don't even know if you can get fitted and get one the same day. And I don't care to try. I want to go to sleep, and then while you know while Carmine is napping, I'll get some work done. Look after my son for a couple hours, um, and then. And then come in, right? I mean, to, it's just I don't, I don't, I don't want to get a text for you. Um, I don't know unless you feel differently. Eight three three ninety six nine forty four forty seven. Uh, Matt, where, where do you come down on this? You don't think I need to get one, right? Not now. It's a little late. 
And yeah. I know you got to go to sleep. And if you wear a black suit, black tie, white shirt, it's the same thing. I think I did this last year, and no one cared. No one cared. I just don't believe you don't own a tuxedo. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> I, I, I am surprised by What's that What's wrong with well. the one that you say you used to have? That's old? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, styling. this was like 20 years ago that oh. I had this. Um, so it won't fit? I don't know where it is. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's somewhere. Um, but I really think it's fine. When did you say you found out? Friday. Oh, okay. So that's very late notice then. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. That's too short of a time frame for you to pull all that off. Well, I mean, look, I could have done it over the weekend and stuff, but I'm busy. I got a lot going on over the weekend. Um, So maybe I'll send Kenneth as my representative. Uh, You have a tuxedo, I bet, right? Yes. Naturally. Okay. There you go. Do you have one, Matt? I do. You do also? Okay, yeah. that's it. I, I have to get one then. Um, uh, maybe I'll get one next weekend. All right. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can do so at uh, 833-969-4447. A little different today because we only have four phone lines instead of seven. So if you get a busy signal, just call back in a minute or two after we, you know, after we start 15 seconds of fame because we'll go through the calls quickly. Uh, 833-969-4447. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Although he passed away a month or so ago, has given us this song to remember him by. He's very a great caller and a great musician and a guy that clearly loved radio. We're going to get to 15 seconds of fame in a minute. But I do have to mention this. You know, how annoying are hiccups? Hiccups are so annoying. Now, everyone's got their methods for curing hiccups. They, you know, for for years, the old wives' tale was, and I like to do this just because I think it's fun, is that you should scare someone with hiccups, and that would help. That really doesn't do anything. Then uh, some people swear by peanut butter. They say that helps. Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, I was always the water method, right? You take like a, a you gulp water. You gulp water for 20, 30 seconds straight. Without really taking a breath. You just, you know, guzzle down that water. And I found that to be pretty effective for me. But uh, I don't remember the last time I had hiccups. I'm hesitant to say this because 
now that I say this, I'll, I'll be one of these cases of hiccups that don't end. Well, there now appears to finally be a cure for hiccups. And yes, you guessed it, there is a purchase required. In an interview with The Atlantic, University of Texas at San Antonio professor and hiccup expert. How does one become a hiccup expert? Ali Selfie. Uh, Ali Sefi sings the praises of his patented device, the Hickaway, H-I-C-C-A-W-A-Y. While humanity has long been plagued by these phantom spasms, medical science still struggles to explain their cause. We do know, however, what happens to the body when hiccups occur, and it's treating those symptoms that Ali Safi is after. The gist goes like this. Our diaphragm's spasm, which causes both a rapid inhalation of air and a sudden closing of the glottis, which is the medical term for the space between the vocal cords, that hick sound that accompanies the hiccups comes from the glottis. The Atlantic notes and then the lengthy vagus nerve, which runs from the brain to the chest and diaphragm, make the spasms repeat. Safi's device which is admittedly a fancy straw that he says provides the exact right amount of pressure to stop hiccups, was created after the neurointensivist, say that five times fast, and it may just cure your hiccups, studied existing remedies to see which ones work best. All the current home remedies have science behind them, the doctor told the Atlantic. All of them are valid. The $14 hiccaway straw which has a small hole at the bottom and a larger one at the top, builds on those home remedies by using a physics trick known as Bernoulli's principle. Hmm, but it's in reverse. Imagine you have a water hose and you open the faucet, Safey told The Atlantic. If you put your thumb in front of the hose, the flow stays the same, but by changing the diameter, the speed of the fluid changes. It ejects more. As the patent application for the Hickaway notes... The exact science at play with the magic straw requires a lot of physics and diaphragm pressure language best left to the experts. The product has already picked up some high-profile boosters. Last year, Safi appeared on Shark Tank and convinced Mark, Hu- Mark Cuban to pony up an investment of $250,000. Wow. Mark Cuban's no joke. If he was, If he was persuaded, well, maybe there's something to this. Until someone um, tells me that they have used this Hickaway and it works, I'm not buying one. Curious if anyone has. Uh, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Meantime, now is your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. Simply call 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447 as part of... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Frank! Yeah, I don't buy the wiper story. Uh, my wipers settle so that you couldn't lift them unless I turn them off halfway so that you can lift them after the car's off. Secondly, how tall is this guy? A pickup truck. You can't reach those wipers. Vito! Frank, if I. Uh... My jerky neighbor was like that, and his wife asked me for help. I would help her, and then she and I would be violate the seventh commandment, baby. Thank you. 
Nunzio. Nunzio. Hold on, sorry, sorry. How you doing? Uh, this uh, this a guy worked uh, uh, Sydney. Uh, he uses the word all the time. Uh, he, he's a mama's boy. He's a drip off. He's a drip off. Okay. Charles. Yes. Um, with all due respect to you guys that say you would have helped, think about it. They they yelled at the guy even after he explained that he was trying to help. The next morning, she doesn't apologize sheepishly. She says, you were right. Are you sure you would have helped? I'm sure. I would have helped out of selfish reasons and to have good neighbors. But otherwise, under my breath, I say, drop that you, B, I, and I don't want to say the word, because it didn't happen to you. You were... Bert! Hello, Bert. Hey, 50 minutes, a second, right? Yep, go ahead. Uh, I, I just want to say, uh, I hope you talk more about Ukraine. I really enjoy hearing your views, you know, with, with which I agree. So please keep it up. And, Bert, you're in Ukraine now, right? Yes, yes, in Lviv, Ukraine. Thank you. Keep us posted as to what what's happening there, and please stay safe. Rob! Yeah, listen, two things, Frank. First of all, on the hiccup thing, you order it, but by the time it arrives, you realize it'll be a quarter million dollars, you will reject it. Other thing is, what you do is you go regularly dressed, sit under the table next to John Tobacco's leg. No one will notice. Raji. Raji. Indeed. It's truly embarrassing that with all the billions and exorbitantly priced merchandise, the ABC is so very parsimonious towards its listeners. Thank you. Norman. Frank, listen, I'm giving you a dispensation. If the affair is tomorrow, I, I, I'm under today, the affair. If today. it's tomorrow, you don't have to get a tuxedo. Thank you, Norman. It's today. Today. Brandon. Yeah, just go to Men's Warehouse. It'll take like an hour. And um, how do you spell tuxedo? Because I can't figure out where to put the Z. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Brandon. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, that about slams the lid on things for today. Back tomorrow, not in a tuxedo. I will be in a suit. So prepare for that. Colonel Daniel Davis is going to be here tomorrow. He had a really interesting column about um, how we shouldn't let the retired generals drag America into the Ukraine war. So I'm going to ask him about that. Also, the situation involving China and Taiwan. A lot of other things we're working on for tomorrow. Got a lot of good stuff cooking. And uh, if you want to stay in touch with me, you can do so on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Until tomorrow, Frank Morano. Good day.